So today I'm here with my good friend Joel Whitwell, who I've known for years. He's come all the way from Harvey, Australia, a town, if you can call it that. There's only 3,000 people. He has done a TED Talk since I last met him. He's had his book published, TED Talk and book, One Eye, One Ear, Now Worries. worries. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on all these achievements, Joel. And for the viewers who are not familiar... We're just going to start out right away. When you were born, Joel, what happened? I was born in a Harvey Hospital, 14th of the 1st, 1979. And as you could probably see, I was born a bit different. I was born, the technical term is cranial facial deficiency. It meant the side of my face wasn't formed properly. But I'd like to take a moment here to say how good give um, respect to mum because as soon as she um, could she had me down the main street of Harvey sold me off to the locals and just having that mum and dad just having that start in life and as they're about to hear over the next hour or so is um that's really influenced what I've gone on to do with my life so just having the parents who are that supportive I'm almost getting a bit teary already but just having that was a good start so um yeah so I was born a bit different but just with a one ear, one eye. And I've had quite a lot of surgeries over the years, as you'll probably hear about soon. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Joel, you mentioned a, a medical term then, and probably a lot of people don't understand what that means. Cranial... What, what does that mean? Cranial facial deficiency is the technical term for it, that it just wasn't formed properly, the right side of my face. And um, and mum went to have tests and that, and there was no reason or cause for but again like i said mum was i'm gonna love this boy and um yeah so that's just a technical term for it so um yeah just one one side of my face wasn't formed properly and how many sorry how many people in the world have that condition that's a good i have to do a bit of research but um other people have i don't know how common it is when i was a kid i did meet someone through the hospital that had the one ear and one eye as well so it may be pretty common. Do they know about this condition um, before birth? It was 1979, so I don't know how big it was back then. But um, this day and age, and I, I've been thinking about, so I have more surgery, but I've come to sort of love the life I'm living and I'm comfortable with my own skin. I'm 44 now, so um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing a lot more of it today. Joel, did you have brothers and sisters when you were born, or did they come later? No, Kelvin, my older brother, he's, I'm that close to both my brothers. Kelvin's two years older than me, and uh, he was like my protector growing up in school, and as you'll hear soon as well, looking back, he probably didn't need it, because I'd never got bullied. I think small town, I was actually one of the popular kids in school, and that, I'm a bit teary again, because that gave me a good start, and as I've grown older and looked back, Bullying's a big thing, and and it could have impacted my life if I had it. But I was now all through school, pretty popular. And so Kelvin, um, yeah, he's always been the protective older brother. And then Andrew Frog, five years younger, and um, yeah, close to my brothers. I think that's a big reason why my life has turned out the way it has. The family support, and they're going to obviously watch this podcast back home in Australia, and pretty pretty proud. I mean, at what age did you start to realise that you were, you know, perhaps a little different to the other kids? Um, yeah, when I was, like, in kindergarten and that, you know, and 
there's a funny story. Um, it's in the book. I was, uh, remember Marvels? I used to use my glass size of Marvel. Oh, Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> Marvel. Marvel, yeah. I used to use my glass eye and I look back now and I'm sort of glad no one won it off me. But <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, You used your, mar- your glass eye as a Marvel. Yeah, so, so I was just a typical kid. Yeah, I just thought it was normal. And so that would have been in the early years of primary school, year three, four. And uh, I think a challenge that I did find hard was even though I was very well known and liked in Harvey, whenever mum took me out of my comfort zone and to go to Perth for check-up, people would stare. And I look back now and I think they didn't mean anything by it. It was more they were a bit intrigued, but that was a bit unnerving. But mum would always say, they're only staring because how um, beautiful looking you are. And I believe that. I think you hear that enough as a kid that stays with you. Now, I'm really inquisitive about this glass eye, right? <laughs> so... I bet that drove your parents insane, the fact that you could remove it. I lost it. a lot of eyes. <laughs> a lot of eyes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the water, in the ocean. So mum, God bless her, she's, um, she's a truther. Yeah, There's the amount of times she took me up to Perth to get a new year. You know, as a kid, we all lose things as kids. But um, yeah, I lost a lot of um. One time we'll sit up at Low Brook Dam, which is the dam above Harvey, and there was this cliff face, and I was about eight years old. And um, I saw it just flame in my eye and then I sort of popped out and I just watched it bounce, bounce into the water where it sank. So we got, we had family and friends up there all over diving to the bottom trying to find it, but no luck. So it's probably still there today. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you had your first glass eye? I think I would have been pretty young. I had to ask mum this one. I would have been um, sort of early primary school, even earlier, I think. So yeah, very early on. Was there a situation with your dog and the glass? Oh, there they are. I was waiting for you to bring the story up to them. <laughs> there, now we had a pet, Jack Russell, named Fiasto. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was, had my eye in my hand and he jumped up <laughs> and swallowed it. <laughs> so mum, um, mum being mum, said, oh, that's all. Fed it salt water. We threw it back up. Mum washed it with disinfectant, and um, I put it back in, and went about my day. <laughs> oh, God. So yeah, that's a story that it's in the book again. So <laughs> nothing a bit of salt water can't fix, hey? <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, I thought didn't know who was going next. So huh? Joel, you, did you want to keep going like that, or should we? I didn't know there was protocol. <laughs> uh, now we know. Fabulous. Have you got one? No, I was going with you now. Okay, so Joel. You know, you said that you got this glass eye put in at a young age. Did you have to have surgeries at a very young age as well? Did yes. you have to reconstruct? Yes, I got the two big ones, which I mentioned in a lot of my... I mentioned them in my talks. 1989, they took rib, a rib out um, to lose it as a bone to bring my face out. So it was a big... Oh, I was in intensive care for a week or so afterwards, so... And um, what lifted my spirits was obviously mum was always there, being mum, but to sort of get well cards for my school friends, but that was a real big one. And later on, when I'm more relaxed, I may show you the scar, but they got a little bit of a scar there where they took the rib. And then 10 years later, they took some muscle out of my back to make a cheek. And that was, you know, I was in the hospital again, intensive care. And all I wanted was to get out because my friend had his 21st and I couldn't miss that. So <laughs> I was at that age. But, um, yeah, they were the two big ones. And, um, I've had quite a lot over the years. I had one when I was in year 12, just to, the bone was, had locked up. So it sort of my jaw was locked. 
and had trouble speaking, so I had to cut a bit of that out. So, um, yeah, again, it's been a journey. I, I mean, that sounds quite intense, going through all that surgery, starting from quite a young age. What were hospitals like back then? Yeah, I'm thinking back now, um, I didn't mind it. I think just having mum there when I was a kid um, really helped, and just having the friends that would come up and visit really means a lot too, and... Um, and again, in 89, I made friends with Clinton and Simon. And as I wrote in the book, we were in the same ward, we became real close. And I wonder what they're doing these days, because after we left, that was before Facebook, before we sort of went our own ways in life. But they're two friendships that started just in that stay in the hospital. Not ended, because we just went our own ways, but it'd be interesting to see those two again. And, and um, yeah, just keep a positive outlook. And how old were you when you met these two in hospital? Which stint was this? Was that? The two friends that you met in hospital, which... which... 1989. So I was 10. I remember watching the He-Man. We sat up all night watching the He-Man. And, and I'd like to give a good shout-out to my mate, Normie. He's one of my good mates from school. And it's funny because in 99, he was living up in Perth at the time. And as in our old 20s, in our 20s, and he came and visit. And then we got, we were playing, I've never been much of a game of it. We were playing, um, footy and that on the, on the, on the games. And my mate ended up staying. And I, we just, I just made him up a little, um, cushion on the floor of my, of my hospital room. And every time the nurses came in to check me that night, they must have been, well, they're just strangers on the floor, but they didn't say anything. But my mate just stayed the night. And yeah, you know, just having those sort of friendships really mean a lot. So, as well as the eye, you had to glue your ear on from a very early age. Yes, it's got a bar there now, but in the young, when I was younger, they had to glue it on. And often I'll be rushing, Mum, I've got to get to school. And um, sometimes I'll be up there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if, you know, on those days, luckily my friends didn't say anything. But um, <laughs> yeah, so they used to get glued on, and that's when it used to come off a lot. What's the ear made of? Sorry. Just the I'm plastic, yeah. and I'm in the process to get a new one. Before I came on this trip, I'm getting a new one, so I've got to have a few um, appointments when I get back. So, but this trip, this ear's been a good companion. It's seen the world with me, and, and <laughs> I got you... this one in 2015. So, and so, what about your hearing? How does how does your hearing work? Which... I can hear it perfectly out that ear. Deep down, I think the channel's still there, but obviously there's not much hearing at all. On that side. And your parents were concerned that your brain might have been affected yes, in the very yeah, beginning. Yeah. What, is, what tests were done there? Yes, which is fair enough, Mum. Because they knew they already had a big road ahead and they just wanted... And, and either way, they would have loved me either way. And I remember the year one, I was in the class, that, the special class, and then they quickly realised, no, we've got to put this... Kid back in mainstream, and you know, I went on and graduated year 12. And um, yeah, it's pretty exciting that you know, and yeah, I've achieved quite a bit. Well, that's what I want to speak about is um, you know, you've had amazing parents by the sounds of it, you know, oh. the, where you grew up sounds yeah. you know, really friendly and welcoming. And then when did it start to go wrong for you? Um, I don't think it's ever really gone wrong, but um, I remember there was a time I went to a party and someone said I was the ugliest person he'd ever seen. And I think that really, and that was not far from a Harvey, and that was something that really um, cut deep. But then I thought about it, and he left town not long after. Harvey's a small place, and I think um, 
<laughs> I think he said something to the wrong person and obviously me. So he moved on. But um, I thought about him. He's, like, he, he's probably a good guy. He's probably a nice guy that was drunk. And if I let that to find a way to live my life one night, then um, then it's just holding me back. And um, oh, I forgave him in my heart not long after. Like, And I think that was a big thing for me, just at 19. I've had it pretty easy up till then, but this was pretty blunt. And um, yeah, had a few tears that night, but um, it's just life. Things I either deal with them or was don't. And yeah. So, what did you do when you heard those words? What well, was, what was your reaction? Mates. I was with two mates, and um, I was a bit stunned, you know. And um, yeah, I just got up and left, and my mates followed me, and I didn't want because I was only nineteen. I didn't want them to see me cry, and so I dropped them off. They wanted to stay with me. I said, no, no. Um, I'm all right, I'm all right, boys, and then um, they went up to a quiet place and did a lot of thinking and wonder why that happened that night, why it turned out the way it did. But no, I got home the next day and I think I was already on the way to, I'm going to overcome this. And again, the guy's probably not a bad bloke. It's just people do things and and um, they do make the tougher. I've probably got a thicker skin. Unfortunately. Joel, just give us a bit more detail about this story because you, you, you've um, gone over it quite quickly. You said you went to a quiet place. What was going through your head at this quiet place? Uh, yeah, I just, I've never had heard something said so like, straight like that to my face before. And um, I don't think I was suicidal. I was 19. I, was, I look back and I was probably some of the best years of my life. But, um, yeah, just wondered why it happened. And, um, yeah, just did a bit of thinking about life at 19. And, yeah, I ended up going home and told mum and dad and and that. And they were, um, yeah, you know, they were very supportive. And, um, yeah, no, it all worked out good in the end. Again, like I said, he um, left town not long after. But, again, if I'd have seen him, I reckon I would have probably chatted to him and asked why I said it at the time, I just thought the best thing to do was just leave the situation. So, um, yeah, that was just one of those things. I had a journey that wasn't so easy. Words can hurt. And, yeah. What was the quiet place that you went to? Just up above Harvey there. There's, um, like, a little river and, and um, yeah, just a peaceful place. Was there anything specific about that place that drew you to, to go there that evening? Probably because it was close. Uh, I live a mile up and I just didn't want to go straight home. I just had to process it. And it was a little weir, that's what we call it, back home. So but a lot of Harvey people probably end up watching this. So they had a little weir. And um, and again, it's, I believe it made me stronger. It I does think. sound like you're, you're very mature at quite a young, young age. I think so. And again, I you know, give my brothers credit too. They've always been good to chat to. And, and it was even Kelvin... He had to adapt because being the first child, then I came along with what I had to go for. Mum's attention had to go a lot of me. And um, so Kel, you know, that would have been hard for a kid to, but he's been so strong throughout it all and always, up, like I said, my protector as an older brother and my younger brother. So, yeah, just having them and they've always been helpful. So I spoke to them too about this and, um, yeah, every time I've been through saying it's good to have, and good friends as well. They always help. And growing up, what was it you wanted to do? Funny enough, in year eight, I wanted to be a writer. 
There we go, you live in the dream. It's funny how we go through all these different <laughs> twists and turns and then it's, oh, I actually did write a book. <laughs> but I went, I followed my dad into the meatworks. I thought I, I, I did year 12 and I thought I'd do a year there until I work out what I want to do. And not unfortunately, because it's not really a passion of mine, but I've stayed there ever since, but I've achieved a lot because I got the government job as a meat inspector and so I rose up the ranks and um, in a way it's nice because Dad's, as long as these three boys were working, any kind of work he was happy, he's always been a hard worker and uh, he wouldn't put any pressure on but I did internally, I got to that point when I looked, seen what, because he was a manager, he was a boss, he really was high up and I thought, oh, no, and then to become a meat inspector now, at least I, in my own right, curved out a bit of a decent career as well, like my old man, like dad. So, and um, so did your brothers do the same? Were yeah, they in the same industry? Yeah, they the work after dad. And Kelvin's just started his own counselling business. I was saying it to Sean before. So he's going to do very well, I feel, because the path he went down is similar a bit to Sean's. And so he's got that real-life sort of story too that it could really help a lot of people. And he had that family support as well and... And we never gave up on him and he's really found his path and um and he's really engaged in my brother Kelvin, so he's gonna go well with his counselling business. And Andrew Frog <laughs> Frog, that's his been his nickname for as long <laughs> as I can remember. He's a rigger, rigger, so he sort of um makes pretty good money there. So we've all done pretty well. <laughs> right, Joel, we've jumped ahead a bit here. I wanna go back to school years and focus on this for a little bit and find out more about what you were like at school. Like, who were your best friends at school? Were your brothers and sisters in school with you? Did you have a girlfriend? Things like that. What subjects were you interested in? Quite yep. a few questions, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now, um, Kelvin's two years older, Andrew five. So um, I did have a girlfriend in school. I haven't had one since, but, but um, I've not got a lot of female friendships. I've seen it. Give us the whole story of the yeah, girlfriend. Uh, Nicole. Her name is Nicole. How it's old a, are you guys? Well, primary school. And I thought that was my big rule, my big true love. So, <laughs> and we used to um, yeah, kiss a bit. And, and I, you know, having a girlfriend in primary school, I was pretty excited. And What was your first kiss like? Can you remember? Was that? What was your first kiss like? Can you remember? We got told off by the teachers. We learned, we learned and, um, hit and uh, made out at <laughs> primary school. And yeah, yeah, so her name is Nicole. And I got on Facebook because she's in Rockingham these days. So, um, yeah, she was my girlfriend in primary school. And I mentioned Normie. He kind of, I wrote about him in my book. His family moved to Harvey in 1989. Who was he? Normie. He was probably my best friend still today. He's like wild man too, I feel like. Um, well, 10 years old when he moved to my hometown of Harvey and just struck up a good friendship straight away. And then I got Bomber, Kim Haynes. I was good friends with him all through school. I mentioned um, a few were drifted. A few other mates came into my life later, but Normie's one that's been there all through school. I was friends with Jono quite a bit in school, and then me and him, I was groomsman at his wedding two years ago. So I was lucky. I had a good network. Um, Jacko, Jacko was a good friend through school. I used to go and he had a dam at his place, and we used to get on the canoe and um, go canoeing. So Brendan Jackson, he was um, Kelvin Rods. Kelvin Rods, he's still one of my closest good friends today. And um, I got like Adam Fraze. So yeah, a lot of them, but normally it's probably the one that 
I think what well, say he's probably my best mate. But you said you were very popular at school, weren't you? It yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's um pretty exciting. Kenny Stents, Kenny. Uh, <laughs> so he was a big guy, the one that was always good at sports. So I thought, oh yeah, having him as a friend helps because. <laughs> were you good at sports? I tried, but Dad was always the coach. He was always very sociable and um, working out in the community. And I played football. I kicked five goals once, but that was about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and, what uh, subjects did you choose? And uh, English a lot. I remember in the book I wrote about Dead Poets Society and I got an A in Year 12 for, and Robin Williams impacted that. Car for DM sees the day is a really big meaning in my life. So there, now nah, English mainly. I was no good at maths, so I was never going to really become a counsellor or nothing like that. But <laughs> I'll say English, so I reckon um, that was the main one, and probably why I graduated year twelve. You graduated year twelve. Yeah, yeah I got a photo of me and my good friend Coe Lee in there. Oh, we got plenty of photos Co- in here. <laughs> so yeah, so that was a you know from starting off not knowing to go through and yeah, graduate was a pretty big achievement. So. There's only one criticism I have about this book, about this awful photo you have of a strange man. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put Sean in the book. Yeah, so yeah, Sean's That's in the book. That's the first page I turned to. <laughs> oh, how unlucky. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, the co-lead there. Oh, the, oh yeah, wow. yeah, that one there. This one. And co-lead. Oh, look at that. Co-lead was the school captain. And I've actually written another book. And she's editing this second book for me. Oh. She Get went you. to university as journal as a journalist, so I couldn't have asked for and no, I, and having a friend that I've had for that long. It's pretty exciting. So Coley's editing this second book for me. So yeah, you go on to a point in your life where something very unfortunate happens to your best friend. Yeah, PJ Paul. He was no one that was meant to mention. Um, Paul came to Harvey in '96. And I met him in 97. And How was, old are you at this point? I so? was 92. I was been 18. Paul's a few years younger, 16. He'd mum and dad owned a wake up pub, wakey pub. So obviously me and him were going to become friends because I like to have a beer. <laughs> and um, we met in 97. And it was about, he graduated year 12, two years after I did in 98. And then he did the same as me, came out to the meatworks, we were working together. A lot of my other friends were on Night, I mean, Paul ended up on days. So just working together, we already had a friendship. I remember the summer of 90, I'm getting a bit teary too, again, I'm 98, 99. You know, when they just had those summers to look back on all these years, it just seemed like it was me and Paul that summer doing everything together. And we just to get, ride the puss bikes into Harvey on our lunch break. And I remember the cops pulled us over once for not wearing a helmet. But it was just a magical summer and... um. And coming into the end of the summer, I've heard about these things called mystery flights and where they buy a ticket and they fly you to anywhere in Australia to spend the day there and to come home. And I thought, oh, and obviously Paul was my best mate at the time. Um, you know, my closest mate I've seen a lot and I mentioned to him and he was straight away, let's do this, let's do it. So um, we got the tickets and then they rang a few days later so he's off to Sydney. And out of all the places, I think me and Paul would have been, we hope we get Sydney. So, yeah, so we drove up there. I remember we went to the pub and we finished work on a Monday because we were heading off on the Tuesday. And um, as you do when they're young, he was 17, 18, I was not 20, just turned 20. 
and we're having a quiet beer and every time someone came into the pub we'll be like, catch us later, we're off to Sydney, just harmless <laughs> fun and uh, I remember driving around up Harvey, we had the window down, me and Paul, and catch us all when we get back from Sydney and um, it's just, still gets a bit teary now, that memory, and um, we stayed at Paul's mum and dad, um, Paul's pop's place, his granddad's and his grandpops and stayed there tonight. Then we flew over on the Tuesday and, yeah, just spent a magical day in Sydney. We got some good photos of the Offer House, um, the Harbour Bridge, and then finally, you know, Paul's uncle Mick was a detective who lived in Sydney. So we went and met up with him for a beer and then um, he drove us to the airport in the detective the car and and we said we've got to go for King's Cross. So we went through King's Cross and um and I was like we should miss our flight just so we can stay a bit longer but then we thought, no, we better get back, we've got work tomorrow. And just find those days that I look back on years later and how magical it is. And um sadly two thousand and three Paul died in a car accident and I was with him that no not I was um we at the footy club together and you know, I was doing the drunk, had an arm and him. Well, Sydney was just the start. We're going to go to America next year. Let's start travelling. And he was, there, yeah, there. Yeah. You know, you're seeing that boosted and obviously it's all in the book. Yeah, wake up next morning and he died on the way home. And um, and rest in peace, mate, Paul. But um, that Sydney trip, it's just sometimes something like that can influence that. And I remember I mentioned about people staring before. When we were at that bar that day with Mick, someone was staring, and that was the first time I didn't let it get to me. I remember thinking, I'm here with my best mate, having the best day of my life, and ever since then, staring has never really bothered me, and and was it meant to be? So Paul's been gone now 20 years, but the memories live on, and in the book as well, and every time I go to Sydney, I always like to just reminisce for him and go to a bit of a walk, and... Um, just having that memory. The summer of 98 was a pretty magical summer. How did you find out about Paul's death? I woke up in my good mate Adam's car. Adam's another good mate. I wrote a lot about him in the book. I'll go to him later on. But I wrote up in the... Because obviously he was being drinking, so he wasn't going to drive home. So I stayed... You know, it was back in the day to sleep anywhere, don't you? So I ended up waking up in Adam's car and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can't find my phone. It was after the Harvey show, so they had all packed up. Adam's car was still at the Oval and then I went to the payphone to try and ring a taxi because my car was just out of town at the ranch. That's a good mate's that we used to stay at. And I always used to leave my car there. It was like a party house. And um, trying to go there and couldn't get through. And then I was walking back to Adam's and I seen one that, younger guys, younger brother of another good friend of ours walking towards me. Was, his name was Adam as well, Adam Francis. And um, there he came and it was, you know, I was, oh, I had to pull up. You know, it was a good night last night. I could see he'd been crying and he was holding back a bit. And he was like, and had you heard about PJ? Because he knew his older brother was one of our, Daniel's one of our group. And I was like, oh, no, what do you do? What happened? Um, yeah, he was killed in a car accident last night and... And I remember I'd been on the booze all the next day. I was already feeling a bit underwear and didn't, you just hear that. It just didn't seem real. And then, um, you know, then, you know, we had a quick, uh, uh, and I went back to Adam's car and I just sat in the back again and it, nothing felt real that morning. Nothing. And, um, it's just, is he gone? Is Paul actually gone? 
you know, it's just, and then um, and then Adam, then Adam locked up. Someone gave him a lift to get his car. You know, we're small town people, <laughs> and um, and um, got talking to Adam, and and I'm thinking, and Adam goes, "You heard about PJ?" And he, he didn't have any much detail. We just heard that he's had been killed, and and because uh, he knew him pretty well as well, everyone knew PJ. And um, yeah, so then Adam gave me a lift. I got my car, went home. Mum and Dad, because Mum had been trying to ring me all morning. She stresses as it is, and once you heard about Paul, she couldn't get a hold of me. And then um, I walked in. I went straight to my room, and that's when I had I let go of my emotions. It's again, it's in the book, and I just curled up into a ball and just cried my eyes out. And my nana came over to try and comfort me, but my parents thought, "Well, just let him cycle it through," and um, they just let me, you know, sleep it off. But it was a surreal day. It's something, um, and they're being through it too. And I think a lot, you know, losing wild man and that. It's they're deaf, you know. It, I know it's, it comes, but um, yeah, I remember yeah being a big funeral. We knew everyone, so I think small town again. The support that everyone gave each other who knew Paul was helped us all get through it. And um, and yeah, so it was twenty years ago in October this year. I lost one of my friends when I was 19 and it sort yeah. of brought me back to that situation of how everything felt surreal. Yes. Like, I remember it took a good five to six hours before I actually believed she was dead. Yes. It, and it, you go through all these motions, don't you? Yeah. Like, this is, this isn't real. He's still there. And, yeah. but I found the hardest part definitely was the funeral. What was his funeral like for you? Oh, it was massive. And again, I wrote that in the book. And again, it's good because, um, I went with friends. Mum and Dad obviously were there to support, for support, because um, Dad was actually working with Paul's dad at the time, and Paul got a job there. So Dad was meant to pick him up that morning. So obviously there was a connection there, he, not only with being one of my best mates, but there was a connection that Dad had with the family as well. And, um, yeah, I took the week off work, and it was a pretty surreal week, and just pretty much stayed in my room. Then Thursday I went out to Matt, and Luke's place because they were Adam's brothers and I was very close to all three of the boys and Adam was on his way to the US because he, um, he was leaving and um, we thought it would be a bit surreal but we thought, well, Paul would still want Adam to go, you know, so Adam was off on his big adventure. But yeah, just surreal time. And I remember I went for a dark summer that summer, 03, 04, and I thought a lot about life. I'll park up, park my car up down the beach and I didn't tell my mum dad I didn't, didn't want them to worry, but I think that's when depression first really hit my life. And I think that, to be honest, I took some light from that darkness because I've seen the world. I've gone on and done what I have, and I think that summer I had to go through that, I feel. Joel, when you went back to your house and you went into the room and your family couldn't console you, what was going through your head when you was in that room? Yeah, just um, I was thinking about Paul's family, and I was writing a book. We're all given tools to um, cope, and as I was to be honest in the book, the one not regret, because I, I know they understood. I didn't go and see Paul's family, and it was at the wake that Paul's mum actually came to see how I was, and I feel looking back, it's sort of been the other way around. But as I wrote, I didn't have the tools at that time to know how to deal with it. So that's how strong his family, uh, especially his mum. And yeah, it's just, and again, like I said, Harvey so, I was only early 20s, so I've obviously had a big weekend and it just, yeah, it just felt so weird. 
Because of course, your trip to America that you were talking about too with Paul must have been so prominent in your mind. Yes, yes. Um, when you found that all for yourself. That's a good question because um, what meant a lot, and Dad's going to get a good bit of credit here because Dad knew that at that point in my life I wasn't confident enough to travel on my own. Paul's, you know, a friend from home is always going to be my travel partner, and then Dad goes, I'll come with you. Mm. And that's the type of guy he is. So, 04, I got to do my first ever overseas trip with Dad. And to look at me now, travelling the world solo, so things start somewhere, don't they? I was going to ask how you got over your grief and the loss there. I think that helped. I think just knowing, you know, again, family's big, and Dad, when he said that, Lisa gave me something to look forward to. And I've always been close to Dad, but just doing that first ever trip and... um, I believe that there's something, the great beyond, I call it. Paul would have known that I've gone on and, um, yeah, I call it the great beyond. We're all going to go there one day. <laughs> exactly. And you said that you, you felt like you'd got through that darkness. So what was it that, what was the shift that took place? How did that, how think, did that take place? I think just my friends, Kelvin, Kelvin, my older brother, he used to, he just senses it and he came, he used to come and find me in my car and we'll listen to music together. So Kelvin, yeah, he was big too. He would, because he'd been through, he started, he lost a lot of mates too. And, um, so he knew, you know, he's had it pretty, with losing friends at a young age. I'm very, pretty lucky that it's only really happened that one time. And, um, so Kel was big. My mate Matthew Fraser, I haven't heard from him for a while, but at that point, you always remember who was there. And Matty, he was that type of guy that was pretty switched on. And even in his early twenties, knew I wasn't, Right, so just he was one I remembered. Took the time. Um, Adam was obviously in America, America, but I'll give Adam credit here. Out of all the friends, he was the one that helped me to travel overseas because he was the type of guy that was just so carefree. And the carefree years was I'm not to Canada to live now, and he's just that type of guy. And um, he just did it. He he went over there, played Aussie rules, moved furniture for a job, and so he would always ring back like. And um, he knew how much I wanted to travel, and he was like, "Come, come, stay with me in Canada." So having that friend from home, Adam, really helped. And you know, back when I wasn't a confident traveller, he was. And I remember one time he was he, he liked stopping in Thailand. He always come home in the summer just to see his family, and then head back to Canada to work. And one time on the phone, he goes, "You know, come and meet me in Thailand. I'm show you what Thailand's all about." So me and Adam did a trip in I met him in Thailand in 06 and we did about three or four weeks together just travelling all over. Adam was a big traveller back then. So I give him and I've got some photos in the book of him and so I think just having that help too, just having that support. And again, uh, when someone in a small town does pass, I think we all feel it everyone knew Paul, so so um, yeah, it's surreal but thinking it'll be twenty years in October. Joel, you said that music helped. Did that include Kenny Rogers, the gambler? The gambler? Well, he loved that. He loved that. Did I write that in the book? Something yes, there? you did. Yes, he loved that. And, yeah, and I remember that really at the wake because we're all drinking in memory of, of Paul Glee, like the party we all did. And I remember just the gambler came on and um, and this girl I knew and I remember just, she was hugging me and I was just bawling my eyes out. Then the next thing I knew, there was about five people hugging us and we all came together. And then I remember everyone got in a circle 
linking arms with the gambler, the gambler's on, and one of the guys, I think it might have been Leaf, Leaf's fence, got in, walked into the middle and like held up a lighter, like lit lighter, and I think that symbolises the essence of life and death. We're all burning brightly while we're here, and the flame is carried on by those left behind. I wrote that in a book, so... Yeah. I love that. And whereabouts, <laughs> sorry, whereabouts are we now on your chapters? Because I'm looking at some of the chapter titles <laughs> and they're brilliant. Um, are we anywhere near... Num- 12. With 12, I was going to say 14, which is Let Me An Ear. What is the story behind oh, that Oh, Let Me An Ear. There's someone probably read this one. There's a funny one, a drunken story. <laughs> I remember the ranch, the party house, Kozo. Yeah, Kozo's another good mate. And um, I remember went out there and started drinking and there was a 21st at the old golf club. That was a hall where a lot of the parties were held. And I went up there and, and again, I was pretty honest in the book, the drinking. I've always been a funny, happy drunk, but blackouts, not remembering. I think that's something I had to really pull back in and still something I battle today. But again, I'm always funny, happy. And back then I was just all guns blazing and I can't remember much. And I woke up on the couch at the ranch and... Sort of, oh, where's my ear? <laughs> Is it here? Did I take it? No, nah, nowhere to be seen. Because I hadn't seen it. So then we going back into town. This was the next day, so I could drive again. I went out to a few people who were at the party to ask, have you seen my ear? And no one had. Went up the old hall. No one had seen it. So there we And I thought, well, I'm the only one in town with one ear, so it's got to turn up eventually. <laughs> and then... um Someone found it, took it out to Kozo, out to the ranch, because I was home during the week. I remember on the Friday, Kozo texted me, yeah, they're coming for beer. Oh, by the way, the ear's on the mantelpiece. You can pick it up. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it was on, I put it on, did a bit of a dance, and because you know, I didn't want to put my, you know, get another one at that time in my life. But yeah, so let me in here. So it was missing for a week, but um, yeah, ended up. Turn it up. <laughs> Quite fortunate you found it, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but again, it would just mean another journey to Perth to get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had many New Year's, or is it just oh, the one? Oh, lost count, I Oh, think. really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to say, like, at the mantelpiece at the ranch, we we'll always have a special moment in history. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, so you went on this first holiday with your dad. You know, you used to go with PJ. How did that feel to not for him not to be there but to be with your dad? Um. It was, it was sad not to have PJ there, but I guess it was a special thing to have Dad. Dad's seen a lot of Australia. He was never really in overseas, so to have him there. And um, Dad's like me, a bit of a lad, like sort of most times you'd be down the bar at the hotel having his, having his beers most evenings. So he enjoyed it. And, um, and, yeah, I think as I got older and I look back, it means even more as well just to do that first ever journey with Dad. And he's he's still he's seventy something now, and um, yeah, I think it's um was special. Where did you go? We stopped in Hong Kong on the way over to Canada, and we Ooh. caught the train from Toronto to the Rocky Mountains. Ended up in Vancouver, so love Canada. It was a good start to my um, travels. And again, Dad's you know if I wanted to do something like he wasn't keen to come out to the islands, I was, so I'll go out there and. And I think just, I was still in my 20s, came from a small town. I don't think I could have done like what Adam did. Adam had that different sort of confidence just to be able to, but I found it later on in life. And again, it's these little things that happen over the years to get me to where I am today. 
So you say that gave you the travel bug, as it were. Yeah, I think I've definitely caught that over the years. And, and I think that's where it all started. It's always my dream to see America, Golden Gate Bridge, seeing that on TV as a kid. That's a massive bridge. And it's funny how you can dream of, yeah, just going to see a bridge and then it ends up being the life travel. So after that trip to Canada, where was the next trip? The next one was with Adam, back to Canada. My friend Rhino, me and him, because he was friends with Adam too. And with Rhino, on the way over, he said, I'm never coming home. Oh, he loved his family and that, but Rhino was just that different sort of character. No, I'm going to live in Canada. I mean, Adam a lot. No, you'll, you'll end up moving back eventually. And he met a Canadian and now he's settled in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So he was a man of his word. He's come home for holidays. But, yeah, so that was the first one, me, Adam and Rhino. And obviously back then, mid-20s, was a lot about the pub crawls, chatting up the barma in the, <laughs> in the 20s. And I mean, it's, they were good times. So tell us more about these uh, chatting up the barmaids. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> going to the bars, chatting, yeah, chatting to them and um, waking up the next day. Should we do a bit of sightseeing? I'll go to the bar first <laughs> and end up then staying there. But we did do one thing which Adam was smart about because he – was moving furniture. Lloyd was a legend. That's a, his boss, and he loved me. And um, he called me Breds and I think Brother Leds and was something like that. And uh, yeah, we're going well. And he got and Adam goes to me and Rhino that they had to do a trip out to Prince Edward Island if we would like to come along. And that hopefully keeps us off the booze for a week. And I thought, oh yeah, you know, and it'd be a good way to see a bit more of Canada. So we jumped in a big semi-trailer up in the cabin there. So there was me, Adam, Rhino and Lloyd. And that was a good journey. And um, I remember Adam saying on the way back, he was asking about the trip I did with Dad. And he said something that I didn't think of. He said, you know that it's all been from one side of Canada to the other by um, semi-trailer, by um, bus, train. I didn't think it, you know, so that was pretty surreal. <laughs> I keep picking up on the name Rhino. Yeah, Ryan, his name, so we just Ryan. called him Ryan. He was a big boy. He was one of those characters that sort of larger than life. They just sort of knew he was there. <laughs> and back in the day, obviously, yeah. You know. But yeah, Ryan. He's still friends now? I haven't heard from him before. Adam's heard from him. But he's the type of guy that will pick up where we left off, I feel. You know, I've got a lot of people like that as well that you just know they've got that connection that you'll probably always have. But Adam's still, he's in Perth these days, actually. Met up with him for lunch before I flew out for this trip. So Adam's still regular in my life as a close mate. And Jono, obviously Jono, Kelvin Rods, Normie Haynes, Ash Davis. He's um, another one of my good mates I wrote about in the book. So I've got a good good network. Joel, after the trip with your dad, you ended up in Binningup, where you got in an altercation with a guy who put you in a chokehold. Yeah, he sort of came up Could to you me. describe the whole thing from the very beginning? Why, why were you there? Thank you for watching the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. Don't you hate it when you've got subscriptions out there that you don't know about, taking all that cash out of your account? I recently found out I had four Amazon Prime subscriptions, now I've got it down to one. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality the number is closer to $200. When you're signed up for so many things like streaming services you used to watch one show or free trials for delivery you don't use, it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. 
Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's rocketmoney.com, S-H-A-U-N, rocketmoney.com slash Sean. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Link is in the description box on YouTube. Back to the podcast. Uh, I was in the drink of a maid in Yarloop, Molesy. Molesy, all these nicknames. And then um, just out of the blue, oh, there's a party in Vinningup. And I'd had quite a few. I'd had a few, but he wasn't so bad. He oh, I'll drive your car. So we ended up at this party. And I knew everyone. They all knew me because I was thinning up mile up. We all had that connection. And there's an old, there's a kid there. And I think as I walked past, I was, because I think he was standing, but I was like, cheers, mate. Good day. No, nothing. There's no malice, nothing. I said, cheers. And he went and said to his dad, I said something to him. And so as I was leaving, the dad just came up in a rage and was really, yeah, and that's the only time I've been lucky. And on the booze, I've never got myself into any, I've always been funny, happy and get away. But, but um, yeah, just sort of what, started what, to get a what, bit out of hand. What, what did he say to you? He said, he's only a kid. What what did he say to him? I said, I just gave him the thumbs up. Cheers. <laughs> and he just didn't want, I think he was, he was in an angry mood. And so he sort of just grabbed me. But the thing is, I remember, I think it was Fui and, um, a few of the boys, um, Sabbath, came up and was getting him off me. They were looking after me. I think we all look after each other, don't we? Again, I think the guy's a good guy. I think he even knows my old man. He was just going for a bit. And um, again, you can't hold on to things. But lucky that didn't escalate. We sort of left. And uh, it was weird because it's never happened to me before. I'm always the life of the party. Everyone's boosting. And it's just that night turned a bit pear-shaped and again I remember just waking up with that little low feeling the next day just sort of not only a hangover but you know I think that was turned into a bit of a scene and you know just why do people get sometimes worked up over things when you know and fair enough if I had said something malice to a child you know but I didn't what were and you thinking when he came up to you so I just, aggressively I was just trying to calm him down hey, I'm, you know, I'm a happy guy and you know, I didn't say so, you know, and, um, and, and, yeah, you know, and then that's when he sort of, um, lucky he didn't hit me. I think he, I think he had heard of my story and this was back in 05. And again, I think he knew my dad. And uh, I did hear afterwards he felt a lot of remorse. I just haven't seen him. But, um, yeah, it's just good having all the boys there that knew yeah, me that was able to. Was that? <laughs> yeah, just scored with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty, pretty, um, yeah. Not one of the best nights, but again, every other night I've been out, I've had an awesome time. So. so most of the people who've approached you and been quite rude, have they all been sort of drunk drunk people on the night out? And Yes, yeah, so those, those two instances, yes. Yeah, so, um, so I feel, I think everyone's got good in them. And I remember Sean said this, is a focus on the good that helps it to come out. So, so and I read two Tonys as well. So. Wow. Joel, Joel Cole's quite serious. Someone can put you to sleep within seconds. What did you feel at that point? Were you scared? I was sort of scared. It sort of happened pretty quick. It sort of just got me and sort of, you know, like didn't really didn't feel that tight. But um, and that's when I remember the other boys just punched at his arms and then he let go. And I think straight away it happened quick. I think he realised that I think he, I made a mistake here. I think he he just got worked up over something and. And, um, yeah, I remember driving home after work that week and I just pulled over and again started crying. I think it was just a bad week. 
And again, you can't let a bad week become a bad life. You've just <laughs> got to stay positive, don't you? <laughs> and again, it was just awesome because all the boys backed me up. They were there. And um, uh, after I'd left, I heard that one of the boys, they got in each other's, you know, the guy who did it, said, I was sticking up for me, which is good. They all knew me. And, um, and it sounded like I think he just broke up with his missus or something. I think he was just going through saying that and just got angry that night. And again, no hard feelings, you know, and... And, and, um, and like I said, it wasn't like it was full on, like really, you know, where I thought shit, my life's in danger here, but it could have escalated. Was that the first kind of physical altercation you'd had with somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm always life at the party and mm. boosting up. And yeah, and again, I seem to make friends pretty easy. And, and the uh, first time, I mean, someone else has kind of been physically harmful towards I you. I think that was. So, yeah, and to. Have only it happened once. It's funny, doesn't happen often, you know. Especially someone who's always outgoing and and that. So again, I think it's on these little thing, these things that can make or break the. Has it ever happened without your friends there to back you up? I don't know what if it could have got worse, but I always appreciate the bidding up crew because they were straight onto it straight away. So oh, that's Joel, and he's in a bit of trouble. So. And I think they did know the other guy too, but they took my side and and um yeah, again I've heard the other guy's actually a decent bloke. It was just probably having a bad going through something. And I think that's the sad thing about society in a way. When people are going through stuff, sometimes they take it out on others and it's just that cycle we've got to try and break. Have you been in a, a situation with someone when you didn't have your friends there? Not that I know of, I'm just trying to think, um, no, I've been pretty lucky. I've always sort of um, been surrounded by good friends and, again, I've done a lot of solo travelling and um, I've been to some places. I remember in Belfast and the taxi driver dropped me off at my hotel and he pointed to a pub across the road, whatever you do, don't go in there. They're the people who don't want to, you know, so gave me their heads up. So, silly me, a few days later, I'm going to go in there. But nothing happened. I just thought, I just want to go in. And I remember, <laughs> Push the so I, remember, I remember looking at the bar and all these faces turned. They all had this stern look on their faces and I remember seeing the sign, dining upstairs. Okay, I'm going up for a meal. <laughs> so, I don't know how hard they would have been to talk to, but I, remember I went out there, had my meal, and as I walked down, I had a quick look in the Turn again and yep, back to my hotel. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, thought, I always try to make friends. So I thought, no, I'll just <laughs> keep your head down this time. Yes, Get out. Yeah. <laughs> so you said about um, your friend Adam really helping you through that transition to travel solo. When was it that you actually sort of embarked on travelling on your own? Uh, well, yeah, obviously Adam's back in Perth now. I started doing. I did twenty fourteen. I had Luke, he's Adam's brother. I was, as I mentioned, I was close to all three of the boys. I think my first solo trip entirely, and I wrote in a book I struggled a bit with it because there was some feeling to loneliness, and that was the trip I first met you, Sean. And I did the UK, Scandinavia, Iceland, and that was a big thing for me because even though I was catching up with a friend, Jack Jackson, I hadn't seen him for 20 years, but I knew him from Harvey. I was going to see a friend, this was the first time that it was going to be made, like a major trip solo. I wasn't doing any tours with any friends. And again, I struggled a bit with that because I think um, my first trip 
we've all got to take those steps. And the big highlights when I came home, I always analyse each trip and self-reflection was meeting new Newsorn. That was oh, a big highlight. And you. I think spending that week or that two days with Jack, Jackson Hassel, he, he actually sent me a message a while ago to say, you actually know Newsorn because Jackson's a big fan of your work, mate. Oh. And um, he's my friend who lives in Denmark now. He met a Danish girl, starts a, started a family. And unfortunately... He wanted me to drop by, and I won't get up that way on this trip. But 2016, it was good to see Jackson Hassel, and I think he'll be happy that when he sees this, I gave him a big shout-out. <laughs> big yeah, shout-out to him. Joel, explain to the viewers how you select the people you're going to visit on your trips. I mean, how did you <laughs> yeah, find me? I've always been good at keeping in touch, and sometimes things fall into place because I'm missing out on seeing Jackson on this trip that I caught up with him on that one. There was another guy I'm catching up with in Switzerland, Misa. I haven't seen him for 20 years. The way it worked out, I'm going to catch up. I'm only in Switzerland for a couple of days. He's going to come pick me up from Zurich and take me to his hometown of Bern. Bern for the day. So that's exciting. So a lot of it falls into place. I just reach out to people I know overseas and um, and just gives me places to travel to. And obviously I'm going to have to keep coming back to the UK now. I've got a bit of a... Um, friendship base here now too so it's like anything in life momentum and yeah it's exciting I've got friends all over the world that I can see a bit of a travel guide really <laughs> like... why, why did you come to visit me Joel <laughs> why okay this is a story um, <laughs> when I did that Kentucky tour with Lukey Fraze in 2014 I went to South America first because I had a friend there Julian that I spent a week with and I did Matsu Pitsu and Luke was flying out from Australia to meet me in LA. And Luke's never been a reader. I believe in fate, too, after hearing this. Luke's never been a reader, but he was at the airport bookstore thinking, well, it's a long flight. I may even glance at a book. And he actually he got three books that day, and one was your hard time. I think it was hard time. And who knows why, like, was it the cover? But, yeah, he grabbed your book. Obviously, Luke didn't read any of it on the plane. He's not a reader. But when we were on the Kentucky together, I remember Luke saying, oh, by the way, Joe, I know you love reading. i got some books from the, from the airport. And I was oh, yeah, pass them over. So he gave them to me. And and we're partying a bit, so it wasn't that quite straight away I got to read it. But I remember on a quiet afternoon in Vegas, because we had a big night night for, I was in my room, <laughs> I thought. So I got the book out. I read the back about you coming from an industrial small town. And it just I love stories like that. And um, I just, yeah, started reading it. Man, this bloke's, it's obviously like my brother, sort of the same sort of path. And it's funny, I got home and I seemed to just had a normal Facebook page. And I thought, would he be interested in my story? Would, you know, reach out. So I reached out to the sauna and about two days later, he got back to me. <laughs> and I think my story speaks for itself as well. Like, and then obviously we were messaging one another. Then 2016 was when I did that next trip and I thought well I'm going back to England and do a lot I'd love to meet meet up so yeah I came out to Guildford on that first or second night I was in London and I remember being nervous I'm very about this guy now I'm going to meet him and we went out for dinner with Richard I remember Richard I caught up with Richard on this trip and then I caught up I remember the next year so in 2018 or 2017 and I remember we must have been real busy at that time because I sent a few messages leading up to the trip and I hadn't heard back, but I thought, well, he's that big, everyone knows Sean. I was that happy to meet him once. 
And then I was at the airport in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong was my stopover on the way over. And I checked my Facebook or my email, and they were like, cool, let me know when to land. And I was like, oh, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. Then I sent you to um, where my hotel was. You were there the first day. Okay, I'll be there at 10 o'clock to pick you up. And I remember going to the talk that night. And then we did that body combat. You took you to body combat? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But um, Sean said, come out and um, we'll have dinner afterwards. So, yeah, I'd... Body combat, I didn't take up. But <laughs> no, I tried, I tried. And then, um, yeah, we had, and I met your friend, Hot Wheels. Mike, Mike. Hot Wheels? Yes. Oh, I had to keep in touch. I didn't really keep in I got him on Facebook, Sean. Yeah. After this, he's one I might reach out to again because he was lovely. And I've never been a cider drinker, but I had a few ciders that night. And then 28. Makes, makes homemade ciders. Oh, oh and that's in the book. And then um, 2018. Was um, my last overseas trip, and we met up again in Guildford. And then out of blue, just said, "Let's do a podcast." And it's on. I don't know. Have you seen it, Jen and Star? Star. Star. <laughs> but we did that podcast in Guildford. So that was five years ago, and look, here we are again. <laughs> so, and you were, you know, preparing to do a TED talk, weren't you? And you were very nervous because you hadn't gone on the stage and done anything like that before. What was that whole process of doing a TED talk like? Oh, yes, I was nervous. I, I had, to, I wanted to do it because I, I felt I needed to get my story out there. I had to start somewhere. Well, TED talk. It's funny because TED talks are easy to climax. It seemed like that happened early on in the piece, <laughs> and I thought I've got to do this. And I remember I was in Spain, and I had a book to do to, to be on stage on that Saturday, and I wasn't going home until Thursday, so I did the top deck tour all through Spain. That was one of the best. That was 2017, and that was the, when I we did the caught up 2017. I did a tour of Spain, and I was like, I've got to start practicing this TED talk. But obviously, when in Spain, they're living that, they're partying. And then I remember the tour finished in Madrid, and I had two days in Madrid. And unfortunately, I haven't seen much of Madrid at all because I was up into my hotel room in front of the mirror. The mind was going off Spain now. I got to be on stage soon, pretty much two days after I got home. So I sort of practice. I done one or two talks, <laughs> and I thought, what areas of my life should I focus on? Because um, obviously the book was still being written. I still was only halfway through that, and um, yeah, so I did a lot of. So I like to go back to Madrid one day because I haven't seen much of it. Just uh, in front of me in the hotel, practicing my speech, and then I got home. I met up with the lady who organised it, and I was like. Um, by the way, how many people roughly are we expecting on Saturday? Oh, only 200. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've only done two talks. You'll be fine. <laughs> so you met with Sean for advice. What valuable piece of information did he give you before your talk? <laughs> well, Sean gave me good advice, which I wrote in the book, was just tell the story. Just tell a story, your story. You know it better than anyone, and uh, you can't go wrong. And so I always... And I remember just mum and nana always being my biggest supporters, dad as well. But, and but mum and nana came with me to the TED talk. I remember we were having a coffee and my hand was like shaking. I couldn't <laughs> even hold my coffee. And mum was like, so a bit concerned. Are you, so are you right? You know? And I said, mum, car for the M, seize the day. <laughs> and yeah, I got up and I think I was one of the biggest impact and talks of that. They're all good talks, but I think my story, and that's when I thought, 
you know, I got a bigger vase, like I vase than afterwards and a bit of a tear in my eye and, and that's when I thought, I could do this. My story can go places. How did it feel walking onto that stage, knowing <laughs> that you were about to be in front of 200 people? Nerv- nervous, but I believe in life, if you've got the chance to make a difference and you're prepared to go to the spotlight, then go for it. And I feel that after today, <laughs> who knows what the next five or ten years, but again, after PJ as well, it goes, you know, like, why not make a difference in the world while I can? I didn't want to get old, look back. I could have probably done more when I had the chance. And I feel this is what I'm doing now. And I've learned a lot again from Tour. Now you just go, 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 just having that mindset. And, yeah, I feel – I just I think a lot of people do. They get to the end of their lives and they miss their mark. Or I think everyone's got that gift. And mine's coming out now. Sounds like you've really tried to honour life since PJ has passed. Do you think that he's been weaved into your, you know, been your inspiration? I think so. I think, um, and I, I spoke about him at the TED Talk. And, yeah, I think everyone, I think, as you said, Jen, you lost someone close as well. And, again, even though they're still here, my family, I give credit where it's due with people like Adam, John Omar Vito, who was a groomsman, at his wedding, and that was a funny story. I've got to write another book now. To put, like, he's, I had to get up to Darwin, and all the way, like, in Australia with the COVID, WA and Darwin, the borders weren't closed because um, it was good, but all closed off to the rest of Australia. And the week of the wedding, Darwin had a bit of an outbreak. And I was, oh, am I going to have to quarantine or, you know, all these? I thought, he's mm-hmm. one of my best mates. I'm a groomsman. I don't know. Let's give it a go. So, and John, I was that proud because a lot of through that situation, some of his family couldn't make it and friends, so he was just happy with the ones who did. So, John, Normie, I spoke, Kelvin Rods. Kelvin Rods has got a story of his own because at 21, he had an accident and he got blood clots, flying his eyes. He was pretty much blind. So, with Kel's, Kelvin Rods' story was different than mine. He lived a normal life until 21. And then he had to, well, had to adapt. And he's gone on to get married. I was at slow, the slow down, Joel. What happened to his eyes? He was in a car accident. The car landed on him or something. I don't know the full details. And just got blood clots or optical nerves got damaged. So um, He lost his sight. Pretty much, yeah. Shadow, shadows like, yeah, but yeah, pretty much. Can never drive. They're hard. Pretty much, um, don't know how much percent, but nah, lost. Pretty much his whole eyesight, sight. But the thing with him is, so is the resilience he's got is he's got his own business. He went on to start his own business, get married. I was at the wedding. He's got two lovely kids. So I get inspired by my other friends, like they get inspired by me. And then that's when the thing, what he's had to overcome two, a year or so ago, he was diagnosed with can- cancer, bowel cancer. And uh, after already going through that, and he's got young kids, I've been to have a coffee with him quite a few times. Still upbeat. He's admitted to me in a message all over the phone. He has his moments. But he's just so upbeat, and he's a professional bowler, like blind bowler, lawn bowls. So he's making a big impact 
now he's going on these tournaments and he's winning them. He's, yeah, like invisible impaired. Well, and even after the cancer diagnosis, it seems like he's just he just needs something to keep going. And Kelvin Woods, like, you'll probably hear this podcast. Um, yeah, you know, I think I get inspired by him as well. And also, like, I, you know, a lot, a lot of my other good mates, I came and spoke what Adam did. So I know Normie, Ash Davis, so um, Afo, Greg Afo. It's <laughs> quite a few. I think just having all these good support networks help. And you and your friends sound so inspirational. Do you have a message for people who take advantage and moan about their mundane nine-to-five life? Was that? Like you and your friends, uh, you have such a positive approach to life, you know, and being your friends been through cancer and such hardship. Do you have a message for people who perhaps moan about their their yes. boring life yes. on a nine-to-five basis? Because um, I think a lot of people play that victim card, victim in law, and um, and I think that's why if I get my story out there, it gives people hope to, oh, look what he's overcoming. Like, and I think we're not here forever. And I've had... Heaps of moments when oh, I don't want to go to work, like just the day to day stuff. We all struggle. We all we all face adversity. I think everyone's got something, and you may not see it on from the outside. But I feel, as I've gotten older, I found that I think everyone's gone through something, and uh, I think just getting my story heard could really inspire people. And again, like someone like Kelvin Nods, who's the most humble guy. So he doesn't go chasing any of the recognition that he's getting. That small town, you know, like he was in the local papers. And, yeah, you know, and I caught up with him for coffee only last month. And it's just good having those. Um, we help each other. So one of your dreams was to fly a plane. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do lessons, flying lessons? Yes, oh eight, oh nine. I went to Bunbury Airport. Obviously, it wasn't one of those big Boeings. It was um, a little Cessna, but I was taking lessons. And there's a funny story. This is actually true. My family will back it up. I was mm-hmm. going well. I sort of was getting closer to my solo flight. And then I was up there with the trainer one day. This was early in 09. And I had to control the landing. So I had the full control. So I was coming down and I just, <laughs> it was all lined up with the runway. I got a bit excited. So I put the nose down a bit, a bit quick. And all of a sudden, are they sparks? The wheel would come off. So we will drag and the front wheel had snapped clean off. And the trainer, lucky I was with an awesome trainer. He must have had a lot. Of, he just took control. And, and um, oh, I got it, mate, I got it. So he sort of got the nose back off. And we went off into the grass. And he sort of got it so it could stop, you know, like as smooth as, smooth as you can. And uh, I was like, uh, he was like, oh, don't worry about it. And I remember thinking... No, like what do you say? He said, These things happen. I remember thinking, Yeah, wheels must fall off airplanes <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I got home that day and I thought, I'm going to stick to traveling the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's flying lessons off to a later. Someone day. else can fly the plane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One day, but I've been thinking about I may go back and finish what I started. But if I had a done both, then who knows? I may not have traveled as much because each lesson costs a bit too. So. So I think it's life finding out what the passions are, and I thought um, I was probably safer travelling the world, and even though I've been reckless and 
partying up, not remembering, going back to my hotel rooms. I still think that's safer than flying an airplane. So you like a good party. Where would you say serves the best beer in the world? I've got to know this. <laughs> God. There's some good ones here in the UK. Um, I've been drinking Beck's lately. Back home, I'll drink a beer, Great Northern. I'm a beer drinker. Beer I, connoisseur. Was that? Beer connoisseur. Yeah. There's a lot of beer. Uh, I, I dabbled a bit in my younger years, vodka, bourbons, but again, in the book with the Vince drinking, I got to a point where I had to address that and I think beer, always, again, wake up, not 100% the next day, but if I wake up on vodka or bourbon, it's sort of wasting the whole next day and <laughs> with that look, the general yeah, body yeah, attitude. Yeah, I've been there a few times, yeah. So it's just working out now and I'm sticking to the mids back home, so I think that's an honest thing um, too because with the binge drinking, I think it, without realising habits can get a, a hold of the And... Um, I don't want to give it up completely because I'm a big, it's a social fabric. I love to, to sit there having a beer anywhere in the world and it's a good way to strike up a conversation. It is a good icebreaker and to meet characters in pubs. <laughs> Has there ever been times in your life where you feel like you've needed a drink a bit more than wanted a drink? Yeah, I think I've had those moments. Um, I would never have been an alcoholic, but when I've been through the dark times, and that, but then again, I was always pretty good, and I did a lot of self-reflecting on that solo trip, and I was in Stockholm, and um, and I was falling into a bit of a dark place mentally. I was in such a beautiful city, and I remember just trying to tap into that. So I thought, okay, it always worked until now. So I was sort of just going to a few different bars, trying to chat to different people, but it felt like it was getting darker, and I found it was sort of like not angry, just a real low, sad mood. And I thought, well, alcohol's always done the opposite. But then I come to believe it influences what moods you're feeling. And I've always, again, always been happy, having a good time with my mates. I'm in that mood. In Stockholm, I was more feeling down. I think I was trying to get the alcohol to lift me back up. And I remember I was staying on a moored boat. That was my hotel. I thought, that looks interesting. So I was staying on a boat and I was back. One night after one of my pub calls, and I was standing on deck thinking, so I'd jump overboard. Do I really want to take my life? But I was feeling pretty low. Mum and Dad were thinking it was just an accident. But I remember something in me. Just get back to the room. Tomorrow's a new day. Just get back to the room. Stop overthinking it. So I went, so I went back to my room, and that's what I believe. I believe whenever the feeling like that or gets to that stage, there's always another day, new day, new hope. And even the next day, I was still feeling a bit low, but something in me I knew had changed. That I know how to overcome these feelings now. Why were you feeling low in the first place? I think in some book, there was a Canadian girl. I don't want to, not only that, I think I never found, I've always been single, and I met a Canadian. That's a bit of a sad story. And, um, I Is met this her Ivy? Was that? Is this Ivy by any chance? No, no. Oh, no, this is another no, one. <laughs> no, no, I changed her name because I want I want to do everything right if I'm not right with someone. She's the only one, luckily. That I met her and I can take lovely lady. We're going real good, pretty good. And um, met her. She's from Toronto. And obviously, when I got home, I was at. She like everyone else. She was replying my message, so um, built up a bit of a friendship. And I was in Canada for Flemo, my cousin Fleming's wedding in 2012. And we caught up, spent a great day on the islands together. And again, it goes back to, I remember 
I went with Alec Adams living in Canada, him and Nubi, before I was going to meet Nasa. That's her made-up name. I don't want to... Because I still believe deep down if something good could come out of it, one day we may get a second part of our story, but till then I want to respect her privacy. So Nasa's her name. And um, we went out to the islands. Oh, before I was going to go and meet up with her, I went to the pub with Adam and Nubi, and I was, I was up, I ordered a lemonade. I didn't order a beer. And I said, boy, I know I'm getting nervous, but I want to really remember this moment with this girl. She's a lovely lady. And so I stayed off the beer and just one of the best days, we just went out to the islands together, chatted all day, and she was all kind-hearted. And then, um, and obviously, yeah, I got back home and sent her a message, say it was great to catch up, and she's pretty high up with psychology, so she's pretty switched on. And she said... um that I was such a special and inspiring person to know and after talking to me one day kind of thinking that she'd like to do a documentary on people who've overcome things and not about me but I think I gave her the inspiration and then 2014 or 2013 uh, I was at the Wokey I was well behaved for a lot of years before then but for some reason we all make mistakes and Sean's read would have read this in the book thanks for watching our podcast this is a word from our sponsor Shopify I feel like I'm missing out because everyone is starting a side hustle or their own business these days. And you know what they're hearing a lot? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Are you selling books or events like us? Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Shopify covers all your sales channels from a shopfront ready POS system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform. Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help and with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. Look, there's so many options out there to expand your business these days. And what's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean. That's the word from our sponsor. Thanks for watching. Link in description. Back to the podcast. I drive out there. But I was like, okay, I'll just get a taxi or stay at a friend's place like I normally do. One thing that's another got to the blackout stage, and this is, this is 10 years ago now, and I don't know why, because I'll not get food or taxi. Mum was always going to come pick me up. I don't know what I was thinking, especially losing PJ years, but I go, but I drove. And in no good state at all to be driving, and I, I took full responsibility in my book, because I've got to be honest that we all make mistakes. You know, we do things that we're not proud of. And I ended up driving 
one of the back roads out to mile up, run around the corner and I send up jumped in the drain, just missing the pole that took my mirror off. If I had to hit it straight on, wow. there would have been no more, I reckon I wouldn't have survived. And I ended up in the paddock and so being drunk, I just, oh, there's pizza all over the car, so I must have stopped and got pizza on the way through. But then I pulled up into the back seat to sleep it off and then the next thing the cops must have been coming by and they will knocking on the door and I woke, jumped out like, then I was like, how did I get here? And then the cops, um, they took me back for the breath, breath test, which is, I knew I was gone, done for. And, um, yeah, I got done drink driving, lost my licence for a few years because I had the accident. And um, then I uh, broke down and mum and dad, you know, like, they were disappointed, but they were supporting me because, you know, we all make mistakes. And I've only just started a new job with the government too, so all these things are going through my mind. Uh, that's why I really wanted to get on top of the bins drinking like, they make one, it could impact the whole life. One choice could after having too many beers. So I'm very lucky that, um, so it's, I sort of, um, went to court, lost my license. I showed a lot of courage because I went and seen the cop that booked me just, I thought it was the right thing to do. Apologised, he sat me down and said, I've heard a lot of good things about you in the community, mate. Just showing them up by coming to see me. They're very polite. They made our job a lot easier. And I felt a little bit better walking out of the station that day saying, I, if anyone can turn, find some positives out of this, it would be me. And that's fun by going to see the cop. And um, he said, if I ever need any references or anything, he'll be happy to, even though he was the one who booked me, he had to do his job. Mm. And, um, and that also affected my travelling because I looked it up and DUI with Canada and the US... They, they're very strict on that sort of stuff, aren't they? And obviously, Marshall was in Canada. I thought, this, I might have stuffed a few things up here. And um, I was lucky with the US. I had to go to the consulate up in um, Perth. They made me jump through hoops, but eventually they stamped my visa for a holiday. So, yes, that's one. And for Canada, I had to send away. And I was quietly confident because I've been to Canada three or four times. I love Canada. And I got into the US, so I've, they were the ones I thought because they were a lot stricter, but then I heard Canada had become, and they rejected me. They said they were inadmissible to come to Canada, which broke my heart because I love Canada. That was some of the earliest memories. And uh, even though Adam wasn't living there anymore, he'd made the move back. Marcel was there, and I was like, oh, you know, and I had feelings for her that I was hoping to catch up with her on future trips, and then I had that light bulb moment. Wait, I'm in the US. If I go out to Niagara Falls, she might want to come down and see me there. And she, she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come and see them. That's so it's the type of person she is. So I was that excited. Oh, I, I'm, had luck, you know, I'm still going to see her. I had all the hoops. I had to jump through. So I did the trip. Then Luke went off to Chicago for a few days. I flew up to Niagara. Marcel was going to come and see me on the sad day. I couldn't wait. I was like, I thought I stuffed any chance off of seeing her again. And again, I don't know about... I've kind of believed karma is a real thing, karma, because I made my mistakes with the drink driving, but I still, you know, there was a bit of negative energy I put out, and I did a bit when I was 18, 19 with the driving when I've had a few. So, um, but I'll be honest, in the book, from my early 20s to that one in 2013, I never did it, but just that one times, and the consequences, there's a ripple effect. And, yeah, so she was going to come down. And then I think if you heard about the Skyway Bridge, there was a truck driver drunk. He, he didn't die or nothing, but he had an accident. 
and they closed it all down so you couldn't get down the ceiling. And I thought to myself, there's got to be more to this. The universe had to teach me a lesson and this is the lesson of, and it's, again, it's all in the book. And I thought, how lucky is that? And I thought, you know, um, so she didn't get down to see me and I could see in a message she felt distressed because, you know, she felt she let me down. And that, when I was, um, and I thought, no, no, all good, all good. Sad I didn't get to see her, but then I got back home and um, the only time I think I may have done something silly on the booze and and something in my personality, I was on the piss all day with a friend and I got the taxi home and I still can't remember to this day, but I feel I must have jumped on the laptop and must have um, just had a go at her for not making it down. Like, no, you could have, you know, that's what I'm, I just still don't remember, but that's what I feel. And I don't think, because I'm always the happiest, nicest guy. And uh, see, I woke up next morning, I think you get that cheapest feeling. And BFF. I think I've done something I shouldn't have last night. So I did what I stayed away, checked her for a profile. No more, she had blocked me out of her life. Completely blocked me. And again, I think you manifest what you fear. And to be honest, I probably didn't give myself enough credit because she was such a lovely, pretty lady. I put her on a pedestal and all I remember was, don't, I just had that fear I was going to get in a blackout, get blocked. So it's going to, because that was our connection was faithful. I just had that fear and I gave it so much power looking back. It was, Every time I had a night when I thought, oh, I'll always check about, oh, do do. And I think I learnt a lot about the mind just by going through that. I manifested it, that I gave it too much power. And sadly, um, that's how it's ended at this point in time. I'm a believer. If something's meant to be, or if our story has another chapter, it will happen. If not, just take the positives out of it. But it's just sad because I did inspire her to do that doco. So it is one of those stories that there's so many unanswered questions in my mind, but again, you just got to find positives. And I can't say a bad thing about her, even though everyone said, you know, it must be harsh to block her. You know, I need her time to be nice, my friends, and that, you know, the better off without us. But now I look for the good in people too. And, and um, I've got to take the lessons from that. And I don't regret meeting her. I think there's still a bit of pain eight years later because even the friendship I would have been still happy with. But um, but I think everyone that everyone goes through something in life where they have a falling out with someone. Probably bit lucky it's only happened once, but I think it's because of the doco, like what I really inspired her, and that makes me think you just never know what the future holds. And again, because things aren't the names obviously not master, but um, I don't think, you know, I just wanted to step her privacy. So, yeah, and I hope she's doing well. We actually did spend that day together in Canada. There was a story there. It wasn't like we just met. That was it. We actually caught up again. So there was a story. Well, hopefully she watches this and, you know, perhaps gets in touch. Maybe read the book. She always wanted to read the book, so... Do you want to do your Aussie question? I'll save that to the end. Well, I've got I've got plenty of them, but <laughs> right. So <laughs> they say that the most populated animal in Australia. What would you say it is? That like because kangaroos are well known, but oh, we do. They're the ones got to watch out for because they can jump out when they're driving and you hear a lot of people hitting kangaroos and. Um, 
Because everyone would assume it was a kangaroo, oh. but I, I actually know it's something else, which not many people think. And it's only because you was said... Was that the wallaby possum? A camel. Oh, so you didn't know, know that. No, yeah. no. In Australia. Yeah. Oh. It's more desert than, than populated, oh. isn't it? They're like great sandy desert. That's why that's what dubbed away. Well, have you known? Dubbed away is so isolated. <laughs> Perth, probably the most isolated capital in the world. So that, yeah, there's something about us dubbed away people. I don't know. Um, maybe because of that, we're pretty outgoing, pretty friendly. So, <laughs> so no, nah, give dubbed away good credit, you know. That's your little trivial pursuit show off. Yes, <laughs> I didn't know that's Robert now. And there's also this. <laughs> there's a prank that the um, the Australians play on the um, UK folk when we come over, and they save an animal called a drop bear. Have you heard of that? Drop bear. Yeah, it's like a koala with sh- like super super razor sharp teeth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They tell they tell all us like travellers that when we come over. If you've got a backpack on and you're walking like in a wooded area, they will come down and bite you. Probably, yeah, good. <laughs> but it's, it's not. I believed it the whole the entire time of my trip. I thought there were these <laughs> like <laughs> vampire koalas that were going to jump from the tree, but it, it's in fact so they're they not say, a thing. <laughs> no, it's they're not, not even real. I, I oh, it's like it a chupacabra. So every time they've yeah. seen a koala, Drop they would have been packing them in. <laughs> Well, they had all these signs like watch out koalas, don't they? And my friend was winding me up and she goes, oh, that was a drop bear sign. And I was like, because oh. <laughs> I was too late to see it. And I was, yeah, I was convinced these do bears they... were going to jump from trees. But, <laughs> so they would have been the wits about it the whole time. They would have been looking oh, out for these things that head. didn't exist. <laughs> if you go, put it into Google, you can see what they look like. I'll have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get over the West? No, just, just Sydney and Dubbo. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, eh? Because I worked in Davo, so yeah, that's good to mean there. And the zoo is good. <laughs> zoo is good. And the jail, it's the... Yes, I did them too, yeah. The, the oldest jail. I wrote jail. about them in the second book. That <laughs> <laughs> Joel, you said that other people's stories inspire you, and this is going to touch a nerve with Jane because she really wants to visit this place. One of those stories is the story of Anne Frank, and yep. you went to visit her house, didn't you? Oh, I've always had intentions every time I go to Amsterdam, I've got to check out the Anne Frank house. And as I do, I get caught up in the coffee shops and um, <laughs> the, win- the window shop. So I'm off to Amsterdam on this trip. I haven't booked it yet. I've got to do it. <laughs> Fight fifth time lucky. <laughs> yeah, Sean studied um, Anne Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he thinks he Very did. interesting story with, the, with all that part of history with how how did you find it the house then how was it I, I didn't end up oh you there. still got stuck no. in the, you got stuck in this no I ended up oh each, no. this time Sean I told him so I got a book a tour of the Anne Frank house and then I'll go to the coffee shops and <laughs> Jen, <laughs> Jen got a glimpse of it didn't you I did oh, that, yeah, yeah. I, we went on the outside not the tour but I, what I noticed were all the houses they're all wonky aren't they because yes. I'm, I'm sinking yep did you think they were just wonky because of the coffee shops? I think so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Amsterdam's just a place like no other. Have you been there before, Jen? Or was that the first, first time? Yeah. And you liked it? Because I'd seen yeah. that someone posted it as well. Jen was raving all day long. That's <laughs> the first time you went to Amsterdam. Yes, yeah, so I couldn't oh. go oh, in and the you coffee were pregnant. Shops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the locals were coming up saying, How pregnant are you? And she's like, Blah, blah, blah. And this local woman was like, I was at home the whole time I was pregnant. How are you doing this? Really? <laughs> yeah. Jen's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to a festival, Absolutely. didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Well. I'm doing it, I'm so. doing it on, um, on this trip. You know, never know if who's, um, sponta- you know, who's happy to do another trip down. We can catch up in Amsterdam. A hundred percent, yeah. yeah. And this time with no child, so I can visit the coffee shop. Yes. So that'd be nice. Yes. 
So now I love Amsterdam, and this time Anne Frank House, I've got a ticket off the list. Yes. Hey, boys. Did you go to the um, museum of? Oh, I can't. I don't think I can say I that. I did the museum. Oh, no. Timestamp. Forget that. Forget it. <laughs> I think I did the museum there. Obviously, the memories of it. Hey, I've got a good memory. <laughs> it's all memories hazy. <laughs> Speaking of haze, and <laughs> you always have fun. But um, just a place that keeps drawing me back. So, where is the most interesting place you have visited on mm. so far? My cartwheels house. Yeah, Hot Wheels. I like Scotland. Scotland's good. And there's a lot of... Um, Edinburgh's a nice place. Um, Did you visit all the historical buildings in Edinburgh? Yes. Yep. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I didn't have down Glasgow, but I heard it's a bit different. But Edinburgh, a lot. Spain. Obviously, I love the UK. There's a lot happening for me now these days here. So, yeah. Canada, so that's a bit sad too. And um, I believe eventually with no... Fire convictions, I'll fly, and I'll get back in at some point. And maybe having that little break from Canada, again, just a positive spin on it. I may have kept just going back there to try and work, like try and build something with Marsha. And um, see, so things. And again, like, I'd fallen for her. She'd probably only one of his friends. Maybe it probably. Maybe it was a blessing, even though it still hurts today. You know, like, I could have got hurt more if I had it kept going for a few more years. So, you know, but that's the thing. I still wish all the best for her. Mm. Are we on, we're on air again? Or? Did you, yeah, did you end up yeah. in LA? Was that? Did you end up in Los Angeles? Yes, yeah, yeah. I like LA, a bit overrated, but it was good. I thought Vegas, because he's read the story, Sean, of, um, on one of my famous blackouts, I got a bit carried away in Vegas. What happened? Mm-hmm. Well, we started drinking and then um, <laughs> again, the night became pretty blurry. The next thing, I just knock on my hotel door, so I always get back to my room. And um, yeah, Luke was there looking for me with the tour guide. No panic because I wasn't on the bus. So I was there in my underwear. Oh, the bus is leaving, the bus is leaving. So I had to quickly just pack, obviously put some clothes on. And then as part of the... Rules of that Kentucky was anyone late for the bus had to dance <laughs> and uh, Kentucky Matt, his name was Kentucky Matt, had a big stuffed panther and they had Jojo and they had to be Jojo's friend for the day means they had to carry this panther around. So I got stuck with Jojo that day and they stopped to go into a Walmart or something. Here I, here I am, hangover, still not remembering the night before, carrying this big panther around with me. And then I was like, I wonder what happened last night. I hope nothing too bad. You know, then I went to get some money out. It was declined. And I thought, I still had at least three or 4,000 left to get them through this trip. Surely not in my mind. The alarm bells started going off. I wait till we get to Lake Bass to look further into it. So we got there. Then I sort of checked on my phone. I'm pretty sure they can just my transactions. And by the address, and my mate, he's pretty cluey as well, he's, that's a strip club, isn't it? Uh, yes, it yeah, sounds like I went to a strip club last night. And it sounds like I got carried away, gave him my card, and um, ended up having fun with about three strippers for about 20 hours. And it uh, <laughs> chewed up $3,000. And that's why they're $3,000. <laughs> oh, sounds like a good investment. Oh, everyone's got a Vegas story. And, um, yeah. <laughs> I could laugh about it now, but I was lucky. And that shows 
the type of person I am. I, like Luke, he was there, so he was going to help me in any way. And I remember there was, I think, Aaron. We only met him and Rachel on that trip. He offered to lend me some money. Brody was a good... And such. Oh. You know, you appreciate that because I was down in the dumps. And as I wrote in the book, the next night we were in um, Bass Lake and I was making everyone laugh. I was just being that hilarious because I find whenever I'm stressed or going through something stressful, I find it helps for making others laugh. So I was just making jokes about my... My big night in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> they all loved it. The whole Kentucky were loving it. But deep down, I was, that's a lot of money. That's a, and lucky dad, I got in, I hold a dad and he went and put, because he knows I'm always good with my debts, so I always pay back. And he knew that. So he put some money into my account. So I was able to finish my trip. So Vegas. Arizona. Almost destroyed me. But Arizona next, wasn't it? Scottsdale, I know, we did a night in Scottsdale. And uh, Sedona, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yes. The Red Rock Mountains. Yeah, yeah to do with the scene, all that. So, so like the New Age Vortex site, isn't it? Yes, yeah. no, I love that part of the world, like part of the US. So, um, yeah, luckily enough, I um, and as I wrote in the book, I always call it rolling the dice because you know, I'm always rolling that dice whenever I do something reckless, like, you know, with my binge drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that first night, I rolled the dice at Vegas, and it was a nice, quiet, tame night. I thought, I'm going to roll it a second time. And looking back on it, I tried my luck too many times, and that second night was never going <laughs> to end well. <laughs> but I survived, I survived. Did you meet a real-life cowboy in Arizona? Yes, I seen someone walking past, and he had a hoister with a gun. And obviously Brilliant. it's every day for them, and I was like, I think I was a bit hangover too, and <laughs> I thought, well, better yeah, um, stand my guard here a bit, but he just where he walked past, gave me a little bit of a nod, tilted their hat, kept walking. Where have you not been that you would love to go? I want to do Croatia. I was going to do that on this trip, but then Slovenia won over, so I couldn't fit them both in. Um, Dubrovnik would be good. Greece, I haven't done Greece. I'd like to go to Seattle. Seattle, there's something about that part of America that I haven't seen. Where else? Um, some more parts of the UK. Look, is it Dover, you're, you're saying? Cornwall? Yeah, Cornwall, saying about know. Devon and Cornwall and going well, down to, to the come, South Coast. I can yeah. come and catch up with you there yeah, on the absolutely. next year. So, yeah. so there's plenty of places but there. I think the main ones are, um, I think Greece and Croatia will be good. I know it was a hazy night with the strippers, Joe, but you've left a story out here that I've oh. just discovered about a belt buckle getting oh. stuck. Yeah. I got a, um, nice got, try. Yeah, yeah. I got a lap dance, lap dance, and um, her dress got caught up in my belt buckle. So it was like stuck together. Oh, my gosh. And at first, well, this is going to be too hard. No matter how hard, we couldn't come apart. So we're walking around, still stuck together, to patrons and even they couldn't get us up. Like, like, no wonder they charged you three grand. <laughs> so, um, and I was sober that night. That was the, the, the first night. Oh, well, yeah. that's the second yeah, night. Yeah, the so you night. went back for more then. Yeah, hold yeah, on, yeah. hold on. So that, you spent three grand the first night and you felt drawn to go back. The second night was the three grand. The first night was a lame night we went and I got the one lap dance. That was only... Just a little yeah, taste of session. Little sort of, that's why I thought, oh, this is fun. But then obviously the demon, as I call it, started drinking the next day. Vegas is awesome, isn't it, boys? Then <laughs> I wake up next day and 
what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, the belt buckle one. Yeah, that was a pretty funny story. And lucky she was a friendly enough lady. That <laughs> <laughs> what about the Grand Canyon? That's breathtaking, isn't it? Oh, I loved it. Loved it. We went me, Luke, Adrian, Brody. We went for a bit of a walk. Had a look. Went to the piano bar because who would have done that, Sean? But I loved it. Have you done it, Jen and Charles? The piano bar. No, have you done US? Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon? No, no. It looks amazing. Yep. But vast. Yeah. yeah no, there's a lot I'd to, love see, to there. see it. Yeah. yeah. Recommend. I'll, I'll go on my own, obviously. Someone can't enter the country. Again. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I'd come with you, but um, <laughs> oh, <was laughs> I think that? I can. I'm on my own. <laughs> I'll that? go with you. A yeah. couple of them can't visit America for some I think they're all in the same boat in that thing. Like, you know, from Canada. <laughs> I was lucky to get into America. This, like, is, this is actually a competition. Who's banned from which country? Someone's <laughs> <laughs> Beating the sword, I think. Um, yeah, pretty much. I, I, if I get big enough and famous enough, soon, I'm sure I can pull strings. I'll try and get you. Thank in your you, seat. Joel. That'd be great. For what you're doing for me today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what do you want from life now? I do a lot of soul searching, soon. I've always been a deep and reading two Tonys and your friendship there as well. I do a lot of reading. I'm at a point where I really want to push my story. It's I'm 44. Again, the door's open. I feel the door's wide open. In the next five to ten years, it's my destiny that I can control. Why not go for it? I want my story to make an impact. I believe this world can be superficial. And I just want people to know just to be happy their own skin. Look at all the... Look at the life I've been able to live, all the fun times... So I think just getting my story out there. I think I'm going to go ahead with just like with the government meat inspections for a little while because I get the bosses awesome. They looked after me. It's not something I could look at maybe in another five to ten. I'll do it the next two years because they put me back on. They've done everything right there. It's good money. So I'll do that. But it isn't a passion of mine, I've got to be honest. But just because they're good people who I work for. They looked after me last time I worked for them. So, But my passion is doing this. I got the second book that is in Coley's hands as we speak, so she'll be doing all that online. Yeah, I feel I just want to make an impact in the world. I've never been in a relationship, obviously my childhood sweetheart Nicole, but other than that, and I, I seem to make female friendships wherever I go. Like Marshall's just one example. Um, you know, I met Tonya in Spain. She's from Sydney. We caught up in Sydney a few times. So females love being in my company. So I could okay. keep focusing on that. So you're looking for love? I don't know. I think we all want to find it. But then again, i got friends who are being for a divorce. It'll get the wrong one. I don't know, because um, I've never known what it's like to be in a relationship. And then to look around and people seem to be jumping in and out all the time and of relationships. And, and for some reason, I've never been able to take that step. But then I make friends with the females very easy and... I'll focus on that. And growing up, I think that's the norm. The meat's on have kids. That's what society is um, program, And we all... But I've come to believe everyone's journey is different. I appreciate the path they're on. And if someone had told me back in Harvey, growing up, that I'll do one trip, let alone see what I have, I would have taken it. I would have said... 
Yeah, I'll take that life. So I think I'm living the life I want to live. But it's like anything. I have lonely times. I get the darkness that just catched up with friends. And I believe it's how the life, life is always. So it's what they make of it. And um, kids, I'm 44, maybe has passed me by. I'm a good uncle to two lovely, to my two niece, two nieces and a nephew. Frog's got two young kids. I think they're six and four. JC and um, Grayson, so they love their uncle. And Alana, she's Kelvin's daughter. She's early 20s. So mum and dad have got the grandkids, so I don't feel pressure there. I think mum deep down would like to see it, but I think she's kind of just be so happy with the life I've lived. And again, I think I made a choice early on in life. With the way I was born, it just could go either way. I could draw into myself or just go the whole way. And I think after PJ and the other things, um, I, I think it's history in the making. I'm going the whole way with it. Aren't I? I think I'm opening doors. Doors are opening. So I think that's what I want out of life. Just I feel I'm doing the right thing. And yeah, love. Just if it happens, it happens. So you would love people to contact you for a sort of pub, public speaking? Yes, yeah, I jobs. think today could really open many many doors. I could ask, what's more difficult, right? And I want to ask you this as well, because you, you similar situation, well, you've both done TED Talks. So what's more difficult, talking about your life in a relaxed environment for two hours, like we've done today, or a 10-minute TED Talk? TED Talk. Today was pretty crazy, I think. I think um, the excitement of seeing Sean again was there. I've had that since I started this trip. But I think, um, as I mentioned, I'm a small town boy. That part will always be there. But what I've really done is really to see the world from coming from where I came from. I do believe my story is going to live on long after I'm gone. Sean's for the Sean's will as well. And it's um yeah, it's sort of just the momentum there. But yeah, now today I think once we got started, I found that the good and having the book helped and. It's mm. just like chatting and meeting new friends and chatting to an old friend. So, no, definitely the, any public speaking is daunting. But I feel I'm going to be doing plenty more podcasts after this. <laughs> so I've got a few things to say on what you just said, Joel. So you said you think it's too late to have a child. Have you seen, yeah. have you seen Jen's belly yeah, lately? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're a good example. You're like Sean. And um, she's inspired me in different ways as well. So... And uh, and I'll probably be asking you for advice. I mean, inspire you know, you they a, do I take inspire you to be a dad. That's what I'm saying, Joel. Yeah, you just <laughs> never know. I never know. The, the right person, and I believe it will happen if it's meant to happen. And they do are a good example, you know. And I got good mates, Ash Davis. He's a good looking bloke. He's um good job. He's been single since his early twenties, and I think he just likes that lifestyle of having his face. He has a beer when he wants, you know. So I got friends. So I'm not alone in that regard. My mate Afo, he's been in relationships that haven't worked, no kids. Adam, him and Nancy have been married now. And we had a good chat when we had lunch. Me and Adam always have good heart to hearts and um and he's just not really interested, you know, him and Nancy seem like so but again just you know, I'll hear hear who's going on his next journey, but um I won't say no. You mentioned the book The Mafia Philosopher Two Tonys. As it gets towards the end of that and he's dying of cancer, he philosophizes on life and death very intensely. Yes. Do you philosophize on life and death, Joel? 
I'd like to be a philosopher, and I think I, it's coming out now. I think I do. Maybe what I've been through. I love quotes, as I was knowing the book. Um, people say I seem to have a bit of wisdom. I think I've gained that by what I've been through or overcome. And also, I just run the boys, a party animal, a lad. So, um, yeah, no, if I can, I think keep putting myself out there. Keep meeting people like yourself, Sean. Um, Are you spiritual? I believe there's something out there. Growing up, Nana's Christian, we went to church, and I've only met Kelvin. I went away from it through my 20s, 30s, because I was too busy partying, travelling the world. I believe there's something out there. The Great Beyond is what I call it. I wrote it in the second book. Um, you know, there's more to after we go. I don't know what it is, you know, but I believe there's something. Do you feel like you've ever experienced anything like that from PJ? You know, any signs or yes, you know? yes. watching above? Well, on Facebook a while back, um, and I'm going to use it as a photo in this next book. I was in there at the harbour just having a having a um, bourbon. I normally stick to beer, but I know PJ's like a bourbon, so I'll just have one for him. And I took a photo of the bridge. I wasn't in the photo. I just took a photo of the bridge, and then when I looked at the phone, there's this light. Just coming straight, straight down um, from the sky, and there's a. I thought that's that's more than a coincidence. If I can find a photo, I'll be able to send so it deep in my Facebook photo somewhere. But um, but yeah, this light just coming right near the bourbon, right near the bourbon, and I thought so you just had a knowing it was him. Yeah, who knows? He knows when I'm back in Sydney. <laughs> so yeah, if I, I'll. I'll, I'll try and find that photo, but there, that, that was a good question because I do feel that <coughs> from the great beyond, as I like to call it, there was a sign. Definitely. And you said you were excited to meet Sean, which I find really bizarre. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> did he live up to like his expectations? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, just to feel surreal to think nine years ago I was in a Vegas hotel and a bit hangover, actually first read the book. And who would have thought we'd not only meet, but um, start a friendship? But again, I seem to do it with a lot of people. And then, and even with the COVID hidden, I thought we may not travel again. And so, um, then just sitting here today doing a podcast. And again, people like my friend Jackson, who loves all work, on um, a lot. Of, I think everyone in Harvey will probably watch this. So, so yeah, no, he's lived up to you know, and. Um, Hoping one day people could say that about me that want to meet me, and um, I think just meeting the right people helps. And I feel that again, put yourself out there. And when I was young, the stare and could have put me further into myself. And this comes back to the alcohol as well, it helped me come out of myself. I was not quiet, I was a bit quiet, but I was always popped out. I had my group of friends, but then when I was drinking, it would just bring me out. I'll meet everyone at the party. And I just became this lovable, you know, guy, <laughs> the life of the party. One of the last stories in your book, Joel, is you, the experience you have with a mole cookie. What happens there? Oh, the mole cookie story there. Yeah. Um, the hell is my, a mole cookie? My oh, friend, yeah, a mole you better explain cookie. what yeah, a mole friend, cookie my is. My friend, Alan, Alan Hayes, she just read my book, and it's funny because she sent me a message saying, just reading the book about someone I actually know, I could, ex- I could just fit you doing all these things. And she said the mole cookie story was pretty funny. Well, I was in um, Copenhagen, Copenhagen, and and I was, I've always, with the way Dana Dabbler, never really 
booze is my thing. Sometimes I'll get paranoid when I used to get stoned in our younger years. But um, I remember I went to this festival. Um, Chris, I thought you'd talk about that the book. Of it's, um, it's a pretty well <laughs> festival. It's like a Woodstock sort of. Of, in Copenhagen, Ooh, of all places. Wow. And again, a big thanks to Jackson Hassel because he was sort of following me on that whole journey, even though we're catching up. Then when he saw I was in Copenhagen, he sent me a message, you've got to check um, this festival out. So I thought, all right, I'll take Jackson's advice. And it, it sort of was out of, off the beach and track of it out in a wooded area, just out of the city. And um, yeah, it's like a hippie sort of place with all stalls, it's, it's a lot of weed smoking going on to the band playing and I was saying there was like no cookies and I always I don't know it's, again it's that dice roll the dice I always think <laughs> to, to experience life you've got to go the whole way you've got to really and if it's a good experience or bad I'm going to get one so I got the mole cookie and I gobbled it up and then straight away <laughs> the alarm bells started going off because I thought <laughs> I had one with friends back home in Harvey years ago and I got that body stoned that I was out the front lawn in the fetal position for ages. <laughs> but I had my friend, I had my friends there that could keep me calm, and you know. And I was on the other side of the world. I've just swallowed a whole cookie. <laughs> if that happens again, I'm in danger. It thought, worked then. I thought, okay, I could try and ride this out or get a taxi, quick smart back to my hotel. What what once I do, you know, I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> I could already feel that I was starting to feel a bit lightheaded. And it was starting to really kick in. I got to an intersection and lucky there was a taxi coming. Taxi, taxi. And I was, I was at, it really kicked in by the time I got in the taxi. The guy was just <laughs> waffling on and I just couldn't understand the word he was saying. And I think he was just giving me the history of Copenhagen. But I, <laughs> I was like, my head is just, you know, it's just waffling on. And I was, and apparently, because there's two wake-up Copenhagens, and hey, Torn, there's that other story where I ended up back at the wrong hotel, but I'll stick with the mole cookie story for now. And I was remember, please take me back to the right hotel this time. Thankfully, thankfully he did. I paid. Straight up to my room. As soon as I got into my room, I laid on the bed in the fetal position. I didn't move till about 10 o'clock the next morning. Oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then I got up. I was lightheaded and I cursed myself for being a bit foolish. That was a very close call that one. Imagine if I hadn't got back to my hotel. And, but another story that came out of my travels, and I think Jackson, he had a good laugh at that one, and oh, I actually told you all about that place. So. What was the other story you just mentioned? That was two days earlier. So Copenhagen, sort of. I could write a whole book about Copenhagen. <laughs> and um, I remember... I. When I got there, because I knew the binge drinking, I was getting on top of it, but it was still a bit, you know, and I was like, okay, I've got to analyse the hotel in case I've had too many, I've got to find my way back. And I had a big sign at the top, wake up Copenhagen. I thought, dude, at least I'm going to find my way back, even if I'm in a blackout. And um, so, yeah, so the first night or first day I went out, I met a couple from Finland. Funnily enough, I'm still in touch with, with, the, with them and... Um, and we had a big night. One thing led to another. I ended up waking up. Someone was wait. I was on the couch. I was in a lobby. And um, I noticed it. I went upstairs and tried my room key. It wouldn't work. I was like, "This is not my room." So I was that pretty drunk by then. So I just went down into the lobby and um, fell asleep on the couch. And then the um, the I, I finally said, "I've got to at least try to find out why my room key won't work." So I showed the guy at the 
counter. Said, um, you know, we keep doing the work. He goes, look, he goes, oh, doing the wrong. There's two wake up Copenhagen's. Those are the other side of town. <laughs> oh, no. And then I started walking. Then I, I lost my wallet. I was like, oh, no, tomorrow's already looking like being a long day. I went back and lucky I left my wallet down inside the couch where I'd passed out. So, um, yeah, so that's the story there. I got back to the right hotel and um, had a good sleep. So, <laughs> and there's another story before we finish up. It's in the book, which probably inspired the book. My mate, John Omarvito, that's when he said, you've got to write a book one day, Joel, was um, 09. And for the people that don't know, when I do sleep, my glass eye stays open. And um, we ended up in Florence. It was the Kentucky Tour 09. That's the one that Master was on. And we had a good good dinner. Then we went nightclubbing. One thing led to another. And blackout came on. And woke up in the morning. And John, hurry up, hurry up. The, you know, she says, I can't remember much of the night. And those have got. And the tour guide didn't seem too pleased to see me. And um, old Joey, Joey, I'm good mates with Joey now. And all mates on the trip. He, um, he, didn't, he didn't seem too pleased. And I was, oh, oh shit, I wonder what I, if I did say. And then, you know, so we went up to the Alps, did all that. I was still hangover as, as anything. Then um, I was sitting with Jono afterwards and I finally got the coach. Like, oh, what happened last night, Jono? Because he was drunk as well, but I think he didn't, he didn't go to the levels that I went to. And, um, well, we got back, we threw the, key, the um, wallet and phone on the couch. Good night. Passed out on the couch in the lobby. And, um, and then... Obviously, the lady behind the counter looked up at some point there. I was not moving. My glass eye was oh. open, just staring straight at her. She thought I was dead. Oh she thought God. I was dead, so she had to wake Joey up from his slumber. And I think one of the, I got one of the tour people here, and I think he's dead. And Joey came down, and, oh, no, he's got a glass eye. You know, cause I wasn't even moving. So he had to shake me to wake me up. And, um, yeah, I could understand why he was... Um, not too happy because I think as part of his job description is um, <laughs> not to let anyone die on his tour. <laughs> so that's a story. I mean, John and I were talking about it in Scotland two days later because it doesn't happen often, a story like that. And John and I was you've got to write this down. You've got to get this in a book one day. And so that was the story I feel that. And after that trip, I got home, got the pen out. And that's where the book started. So John has got, I'll give him credit there because... It is a funny story that there's yeah, not <laughs> like the clerks, but he's still a bit, you know, she would have been a bit, bit surprised. <laughs> How many people have you freaked out by doing that? I remember when I stayed at my friend Kenny Spencer's place a lot as a kid. I remember his uncle was over one time and he freaked out because I was asleep on the couch and my eye was, my eye was, um, was open. So that was the first time that, um, yeah, then Kenny was having a laugh about that the next day. And I just, I snored pretty loud too. And the, <laughs> un- the uncle was like, oh, it's pretty windy outside. And Kenny was like, no, nah, I think that's jolly. Just <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's pretty unnerving for people who don't know. But yeah, the eye apparently stays open when I sleep. So <laughs> I think when I do get a partner, I'll have to I'll let her know you that. Better so. tell her. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got a question for Jen and Shah. You know, I've known Joel for a while and he's so inspiring, like what he's been through in his life and how people complain about little things. I'm just wondering, you guys meeting him for the first time, what, what's your impressions? I think you've, you've pretty much nailed, like, hit the nail on the head there because people do moan about, especially I think it's, and I'm 
speaking for myself, maybe you agree, Shah, as women, we really do give so much of a about of our, our appearances and yeah, yeah. give each other such a hard time. Well, give ourselves a hard time about it and become so self-obsessed even. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it does put it in perspective of, like, we shouldn't take all that in as much. Yes. And yeah. I guess, what would you agree on that? A hundred percent. And it sounds, you know, it, you've looked outside the ego, haven't you? Yes. And and you've looked at, at things in, from more of an expansive mindset because of what's, you know, the journey that you've had and the experience that you've had. And I remember one of the first things that you said when we started the interview was about people choosing to be a victim. Yes. And you deciding that you didn't want to choose to have that victim I position. Think, I think um, with the parents who they are, I'll give them a lot of credit. They well, are. And that was another thing that was that was noticed as well, is how many times you've given credit to your support network and, you know, your your family and your, yeah, your people, um, rather than shining the light on your bravery, your strength, your courage. You've given so much credit to everybody else. And yet oh, I'm just astounded at your, you know, that's your core essence, you know, no matter who we've got around us no matter how much support they're giving us, it's up to us to take action. Yes. You know, we can only do that ourselves. So for you to have, you know, flipped that switch with such almighty power is, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's a privilege. You to need to give you. yourself more. more. I, think, uh, I think, like I said this morning, and this both, um, it's funny that small town thing that's never left me. I'm a, I'm a harshest critic. Is my story making an impact? Can I do more? I got that overthinking. We all do it, but um, yeah, they're pretty right. I got to um, yeah, pat myself on the back probably a bit more, and and um, and I seem to dwell on the my shortcomings probably more. It's probably not a bad thing. Like I've only really stuffed up that one time with myself, but it seems I give that a lot of energy because maybe that big hearted because I've obviously upset someone. But um, so they're right. I've, I should. I appreciate the highs more and what I've achieved. And again, I think just, you just see it on Facebook and um, so many Harvey people just following my journey because I'm, mm. I'm one of them. Yeah. And you said you're on like a soul searching journey now. And so with your um, speaking and your books and, and more and more people, you know, being exposed to more and more people, what is, you know, expand on what the, what the main message is that you want them to take, that you want them to extract and apply to their own lives? I think about overcoming adversity. Self, people are self-conscious with their looks, especially teenagers, and I find with the social media world, we're lucky we didn't grow up with that. A lot of it is competitiveness and um, with the filters. And I think the world, you know, like there's so many of these influences there and, and there's people like with my story that need to be heard, need to be heard. And some of these influences, there's probably reasons why they are where they are, but they haven't really seemed to have overcome much. Or, and um, right, you know, I think the world needs to hear more stories like mine because it's real. And um, again, I think it's just um, I've grown comfortable in my own skin. And also I touch on... A lot of people can't be alone. I think they struggle with being alone. I've been alone. 
because I have been in a relationship, but not really alone because I've got friends everywhere, but I've always gone to sleep alone every night and I'm alone with my thoughts then and I travel a lot and I struggled with that a bit when I was working with the government, I was moving around a lot with my job. I still go back to an empty hotel, don't I, no matter what I've done that day. So I struggle with that, but it's I come to find that that creates a bit of power too. If you can overcome that and I can go anywhere now on my own, I think there's a bit of power in that. I've forged the path I have. If I was in a relationship, maybe I could have went a different path. But I think just being alone and never being in a relationship and keeping that positive outlook, I want people to be inspired by that too because some people struggle with being alone. And and I think it's there, yeah, just anyone could, you could live the life you want and a lot of people do moan and I, I do it as well. So, you know, the day-to-day stuff gets to me as well. But there's a bigger picture out there and I've always looked at the bigger picture and again, like, you know, I, I met a girl, Tonya, she's a good friend of mine now in Spain and she's a very pretty girl and, and we caught up in Sydney and um, she came to meet me at where I was staying and I was out there having a drink waiting for her and um, we went out for dinner and I could see um, she, she's a very, very nice looking girl and she's come to, you know, to meet up with me and I could see people looking, I could just picture them thinking, that doesn't and not, you know, you know, just the stigma that society has. Like, she could go pick up any man, and it was me because she's that kind of person that, that, yeah, she knew what was in my heart, and we went out for dinner, and, and we're only friends, and um, I'd take some lessons with my own master. I'd just focus on the friendship with that one. And um, Emily, I met her in um, Stratford. So I've got a lot of female friendships, and again, it's just that stigma, like when. Uh, a nice looking girl comes and it's meet it. Yeah, she comes and meets and we go walking off together. It does make me feel good because I'm proven that, you know, to put yourself out there, things do happen. And the world definitely needs more influencers like you. <laughs> well, that's what, like, Sean will probably help me a bit here. I've, I'm getting it out there, but you'll have all the tools to, I'm just learning Instagram now. I don't know much about any of the others, but any platform could really help because I feel that Facebook's my biggest one that a lot of people follow. But then Instagram, I've got a, and I, I think I know Zeus just started following me on. I did, I've been stalking around London. I'm only new to that, but um, again, I feel I need to, yeah, I can influence and make a big difference in the world. And again, it goes back to we're not here forever. And two, Tony's was very philosophical at the end, and he like me with that drink driving, he owned his choices in life and so on. And I could see now just by reading about him. And it was a destiny that me and you met, you know, like you know, I, I, I would have liked to have met Wildman as well, but um, just met some lovely people today. So, again, I'm going to go back to my hotel alone again, but in a ha- very happy frame of mind because, um, yeah, to take the positives what happened that day with it, don't know. And I feel today is a big positive. So before we finish the podcast, um, you said you, you love quotes. What quote would you leave with us today? I always like the Mark Twain one. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do rather than the things you did. And that's sort of <laughs> getting out of life. And again, with PJ Parsons. and you know I, that I, one I, pitch, I, I like it. I, pitch, <laughs> I pictured myself 
in my early 20s, if I was sent out to Harvey Pub when I was 65, having never seen the world, I regret that. So I've always had that intuition of hindsight, so I like that one. So um, just go for it. If it sounds scary and... Um, just go, and that first solo trip, so yeah, 20 years from now, and I like Carpet DM, Seize the Day. So there's, um, I think I read a bit about Hemingway, he's always got quotes. So I do a lot of reading, and um, yeah, uh, I think it's just having the courage to leave the comfort zone. It's always daunting at first, but you know, and I feel that's why my story is going to make a big impact because where I came from in a small town, not many people. I've gone and done what I have, and you can just see people getting behind my story. And there's always positives. Oh, that's another one. There's a positive. Look for a positive in every day, even if sometimes got to look a bit harder. So yeah, it's just that saying. And I've been negative before. We've all have. When I stuffed messed up with Marcel, went to a dark place. But it's how to bounce back, isn't it? It's how the you know and the resilience must come with that. So yeah, I know Mum and Dad, Kelvin, Frog, all the friends. Um, I think they'll be pretty, pretty proud. And and um, and I don't, you know, I've had a few people I went to school with, and a, a friend, her daughter took her life, and a few of the people I went to school with took their life. And um, I'll never judge anyone. Suicide. We all make choices. And um, and I think Sean said something uh, that stuck with me. It takes courage to end it, but takes even more courage to keep going or something like that along the lines like when you get to that point when you could go either way so i got a lot out of just reading the book mate and that helped me as well joel <laughs> it's mutual yours the most inspirational person i've ever met honestly <laughs> yes you are I'm, i think the viewers watching this you know if anyone deserves the love joel deserves the love please support his work if you know if you're a podcaster out there and you want to interview him and spread the word uh, all the links will be in the description box. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram now. You've got your book out. One ear, one eye. No worries. <laughs> no that, worries. And that's like what you've heard today, but in way more detail. And honestly, every time I'm around you, Joel, it, it puts the silly little things I worry about are like, I'm thinking, what What are you doing to yourself? Petty. Right. You, you, you're a powerful presence. Your speaking ability has just increased. You're going from strength to strength. And I love you, brother, and I'm so grateful for you coming out here And if you want to date, like, reach out for dating, then you contact me, yeah. Yeah, 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 no. You have been a great reminder about what life is truly supposed to be Some of the best memories of my life was on the islands with with Marcia. um, Obviously, you know, with that female company and probably catching up with Tonda in Sydney, Emily and... Stafford, so I do enjoy that female company. So, um, yeah, if anyone's reach out, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and again, yeah, like I said, um, with a wardrobe like that, you know, they- <laughs> I know that's true. <laughs> I thought I'll dress up for today. Um, so yeah, it's a big thing being on Sean's podcast, but now nah, thanks for the work, kind words, mate, and you've helped me as much just by um, what you went through in Arizona. I, my, my brother, I could sort of because he did time as well and that's why your story really and he's a counsellor now so Kelvin um, he'll be happy to he's, he's probably one of my biggest supporters so he'll um, hopefully you may meet Kelvin one day because he went down a similar path to do so um, and I can't imagine see so I went again sort of put things in perspective what you're been through I may not have got through it you know like everyone's got their things and 
This is how to deal with things. Well, Joel, we try and finish our podcast with a hug, so give us a hug. Man. Yes, come on in. Chet Sandu's book is finally available worldwide on Amazon. He's one of our most viral podcast guests ever. The book is called Self-Made, Juice Paid, An Asian Kid Who Became an International Drug-Smuggling Gangster. Do you want to read some of the back, Jen? Yeah, go, the blurb. In 1999, Chet Sandu was arrested at gunpoint in Alicante Airport for smuggling the largest quantity of illicit pharmaceutical drugs in Spanish history. Interesting. Overnight, he went from living in the shadows of the Costa del Crimes underworld to being labelled a notorious supervillain in the international press. Incarcerated alongside murderers, rapists and terrorists in a super maximum security wing. He had to navigate a world of murderous knife fights, prison breaks, drug taking and high stake power plays. Good bedtime read. In self-made use paid learn how a British born Asian kid with disabilities raised in a corner shop, emerged as a protector of his family from racist thieves and hooligans. Be prepared to be entertained, informed and offended by Chet's no-holes-barred account of raves, drugs, bodybuilding, entering the fashion industry. Did you know that he dated Kylie Minogue and Naomi Campbell? (laughs) Latest interview. Working the doors and life in one of the world's deadliest places to be incarcerated if you enjoyed chet's podcast series with us there's a lot more detail in the book check it out worldwide on amazon ebook paperback and audiobook